Andrew Gold, co-host of Atwood Unleashed, number 65. And this evening, we are going to be going over many subjects. The Freemasons' relationship with the Mafia, UFOs, ancient pyramids and civilizations, Roswell, to name just a few. First two hours and a quarter on YouTube, commencing now until 8 UK and then at 8.10 UK we are zipping over to Patreon where we have built a wonderful community and there is banned content and you get the podcast early. So our first guest of the night is attorney and retired Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Catherine Schweit who spent nearly five years as the executive responsible for the FBI's active shooter efforts. She's got a book out called Stop the Killing, and we are going to be discussing that at 6 p.m. in 15 minutes. Second guest of the night, we're moving on to the Freemason subject with Antonio Nicosa, who teaches courses on social history of organized crime in Canada, mafia culture and the power of symbols, rituals and myth at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. He's published more than 30 books. And his book, Global Mafia, published in 1995, concerned international criminal partnerships. In line with some of the most in-demand subjects we've covered on the channel, Nikosa will be speaking about how the Mafia had close relations with the Freemasons. I don't think we've ever covered the relationship between the Mafia and the Freemasons. I don't think I've ever seen a video on that either, so that's going to be quite original. Next two guests in the YouTube section are going to be handled by Andrew. Yeah, it's quite a fun night, I would say, today. And there's a lot of sort of really quite edgy <laughs> content. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> by the way, when I was laughing before, because when whenever every week you say we've got on Patreon and other places, we've got some band content. I think I'm not the only one who thinks you're talking about a, like, a song. Like, band like a on the run. <laughs> yeah. Band like, on got, the run. Come to Sean's Patreon for some of his band content. and He'll be on the drums, I'll be on the guitar. We'll be having an absolute riot. Um, no, it is prohibited content. Content of a prohibited persuasion, isn't it, Sean? I, I, does this bring us on to you singing a R.E.M. song in the voice of Hannibal Lecter like you did this morning? Um, that's me. <laughs> um, that's me in the corner. I can't remember how he sounds. Uh, I, I want a room with a view. I want a room with a view. <laughs> Remember with a view. Uh, that's me in the court. No, I can't do it. You did it pretty well. Go on. <laughs> um, that's me in the what? What was the words? Corner. Corner. <laughs> that's me in the corner. You know, I was, I was, I was losing my religion. <laughs> losing my religion, ma'am. Oh golly, I was singing. Um, in fact, I won't say what what song it was because because it's about a. Uh, a pop star that we might have on. But I was singing their song. Anyway, at seven o'clock, <laughs> uh, we've got Jason Shirker, a writer and YouTuber, and we're going to be talking about ancient Egyptian pyramids and asking the question, are we missing a portion of history? Well, we're definitely missing more than a portion of history. We're missing loads of history because, you know, I mean, prehistory, for example, obviously we know bits and pieces about it, um, but loads of it is lost. Not everything is known that ever happened. So 
Let's see what he has to say. Uh, and then at 7.30, last person on YouTube, it's going to be Greg Lawson. Now, there is a name for this. There's a name for people who have got a surname related to the thing they do. And I always forget what the name is. Um, oh, nominative determinism. So I hope that uh, Greg Lawson doesn't mind me saying so, but he has some nominative determinism. So you hear clever words on this show because his name's Lawson and he's involved in law enforcement. Um, and maybe he has a son, Lawson. Greg has traveled to over 40 countries, visiting some of the Earth's strangest sites and conducting his own investigations into their paranormal histories. He has authored two books on the subject i like the word authored it's nice and specializes in providing alternative perspectives to explain the human experience the book lawson will be talking about tonight is his book on the roswell incident come on everyone's Ooh. excited to hear about the roswell incident are you excited about that sean You're roswell. <laughs> we're roswell. getting correct we're, get, we're getting hella corrected in the chat oh, no, by why? multiple people Get out. I'll put, I'll put one on the screen. That's me in the spotlight. That's, Isn't there a corner that's... mentioned? <laughs> Only in the corner of your mind. I am losing my religion. Hang on. Corner. Because uh, that, that's me in the spotlight. Right. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Isn't it great when you can... These that's Andrew in the corner of his own insanity. <laughs> Losing his mind. <laughs> Nikki knows what's what. She's saying, that's me in the corner. We were right. I said, I said corner, didn't I? That's me in the They're corner. Saying, Spotlight's the next line. <laughs> I think it's right. We offer a couple of quid for real news. Real debates going where others don't. Yes, easy E. We're working on it. We're trying to get debates. We, we did have a little spree of debates. Flat Earth, Mason versus non-Mason. But we're going to bring back some debates. We've got some other subject matter to cover. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it time for Buffalo Bill? Is it time for what? Buffalo Bill. Put oh, the yeah, lotion. you want to show the video of Buffalo? Because we were talking... Well, not everyone was there this morning, but yeah, we were talking Just about... Just hit them up. Hit it up. Do you want me to do it? Yeah. Don't you know how to do things, mate? No. You're in charge <laughs> of Buffalo Bill tonight. All right. So this is from the Silence of the Lambs, and it's a very scary moment. It's not. Does it work? <laughs> Have you lost it? Oh, no, that was just. I just wanted to show you in the spa. <laughs> oh my goodness! Hang on, it's supposed right. to work. Now. I've clicked. What the fuck is wrong with the So at eight. So it's eight ten to eight forty. We've got Kathy O'Brien. 30-year veteran, former U.S. government employee and whistleblower. One of our most requested guests ever. She's going to be going into the deep state, the NWO, MK Ultra, mind control programs, human transport, the Epstein and M cases, you know, who killed E, that kind of stuff, and how she has managed to heal from the trauma she has suffered. So that'll be at 8.10 on Patreon because we've got a lot of, you know, the woman who got sentenced to 20 years today. We've got a lot of that yeah. on Patreon tonight because we're banned from talking about it on YouTube. Yeah. What did you just say? Nothing. The last 30 seconds did not exist. And that goes back to what we were saying about bits of history that have not been recorded. That last 30 seconds, that thing you spoke about was never spoken about, but it will be spoken about on Patreon. Exactly. And then 
We've got Adi Ads coming back with Roberta Glass to discuss the M sentence yesterday. And then Andrew's got one, possibly two guests in the Patreon section, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's all kicking off, really. Um, so f- firstly, it will be Andrew Collins, uh, science and history writer. And Andrew is the author of a dozen books that challenge the way we perceive, again, the past. So it's really a theme today, isn't it, about change in history or at least revisionist history. Um, and that's, you know, he, he's written books about uh, all sorts of things. The Black Alchemist, Gods of Eden, Gateway to Atlantis, Tutankhamun, The Exodus Conspiracy and The Genesis of the Giants of Ancient America. Unless you've read those, they're just going to sound like I'm listing lots of weird words and things, I suppose. But it gives you a flavour of the kinds of topics that he covers. And finally, his book, The Origins of the Gods, which he'll be discussing with us tonight on the show so that's going to be good and i think that's i think that's that's all i've got for the patreons uh bit tonight actually sean yeah so ash is slowly turning wednesday evenings into coast to coast we're covering so many subjects now we are truly diversified and what what poll should we do for the viewers andrew <sighs> do they believe that aliens walk this earth walk this earth or exist in space no because we know they exist in space come come now sean come now (laughs) but have they have they visited us because that's because if we're doing a lot of interesting history that hasn't been documented of course you know you can't really do that without thinking of aliens that's where a lot of the pyramids and stuff you know people talk about that stuff so let's Let's, let's All right, first, 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 first poll of the night. Put a one in the chat if you think that aliens have walked on Earth at some point throughout infinite time. Put a two in the chat if you think aliens exist, but they have not come to Earth. And put a three in the chat if you think that aliens do not exist. Looking forward to this. Got a few ones there. A lot of fun for people listening on the audio. We are aliens. <laughs> Described mm-hmm. people listening to on the audio podcast. Uh, we're seeing some ones at the moment. We're seeing, we're seeing a couple of many, 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 many ones. <laughs> many ones, many twos. If you're listening on your phone at the moment, do touch in on your keypad. Touch a one or two. Or three. It, won't, it won't make any difference to us because we've already finished this recording by the time you're listening to it. But, but do, you can at least anyway. feel like you've joined in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you ever you're... see? You ever see on um, those uh, vote? They do the voting things for like Britain's Got Talent. You know. Like, like that and they always or or the or love island not that i watched those things but at the beginning it says like make sure you don't vote because this was actually weeks ago and like you're watching a repeat and because I, <laughs> I guess so many people must have not realized and, and lost all their money uh, ringing up says a lot about your tv program scheduling andrew just accidentally flicking through channels mate. <laughs> just when i was at his mum's house <laughs> <laughs> Just accidentally got Love Island on when I was looking for um, what's that show? I forgot the show you were on. Prison top prisons abroad, banged up abroad, banged, banged up abroad. Yeah, I was right. For you, that. you could bugger off then, Andrew, and I will get an extra five minutes with Catherine. Fantastic! Right, have fun she's... and love you all. See you soon. Cheers. All right, so we're going to bring in Catherine. She spent nearly five years as the executive responsible for the FBI's active shooter efforts. So she's got a book out as well on this subject. If you've got questions about active shooters, a book is Stop the Killing. If you've got questions about active shooters or anything 
FBI related that you think Catherine can answer, then please put those in the chat. All right, so let's bring her in now. Hey, Catherine, huge thank you for coming on. Sure, sure. I hope this works. Yeah, Happy you are. Here. You are. Your audio is excellent. It's very, I can listen to it. It's, it's great. Yes. Yay. Can you tell the viewers a little bit about you, your background, and how you got to this point in your life whereby you're writing books? Sure, definitely. Um, yes, and I'm here in my my mellow living room, not my office that has all that FBI paraphernalia in it. So, um, so I actually am a product of Detroit, Michigan. I was raised up in the Midwest and in the upper Midwest in the States. And, you know, it's very mellow up there. Everybody's super nice to each other. So I worked as a journalist, a news journalist for a little while, print, and then went, moved into Chicago and found out that most of the lawyers who I was dealing with as a journalist were lying to me. So I went to law school, which a lot of journalists do. And then I suddenly ended up prosecuting. So I was in the prosecutor's office in Chicago, which is a huge court system, like 800 attorneys. And I was working there and my cousin was an FBI agent and kind of talked me into joining the FBI. I wasn't super keen on it because I didn't, he was an agent and I didn't think, I was like, oh, I don't really care about that. I'm a prosecutor. Um, but then as it turned out, um, the FBI took me surprisingly and I ended up uh, spending 20 years there. Um, and the first 15, really, I was working national security matters, which sounds like a lot of big words, but basically it means I was working espionage cases and counterterrorism cases and domestic terrorism and those kinds of things. And then um, Sandy Hook happened, the Sandy Hook shooting, which is an elementary school shooting in Connecticut in the Northeast of the United States. And when that occurred, there were uh, so many babies, 20 children who were like first graders killed uh, to, and six adults mm -hmm. killed, six women who worked in the schools. And the FBI's, uh, you know, I was in working in FBI headquarters at the time and they came to me and said, hi, you, we're volunteering you that you're going to be doing this now. And so, uh, which happens a lot in the organization. So I ended up going over to join then Vice President Biden's team uh, that was looking for solutions with a lot of other federal agencies that are all under the executive branch, the president's uh, executive branch. So Health and Human Services and Department of Homeland Security and Department of Education and lots of what we call three-letter organizations. And and really, I, I was the only law enforcement guy. So, so I really took on that role and um, kind of embraced it and kind of, e even though I I seem like this i'm i'm really an agent in my head and so you know a gun toting you know get out to the crime scene kind of person and it made me so angry that those children were killed i was like well, we gotta we gotta find a way to stop the killing so right, that's so my got, back thank you for that and i've got so many questions how realistic is silence of the lambs with clary starling going in <laughs> to hannibal lecter <laughs> the opening scene which was filmed in our gun cleaning room and the path that she takes as she takes off to run in the beginning that has the tree with all those little signs on it those are true <laughs> does that count <laughs> so it ends there then is that is that what you're saying <laughs> i'm sure there were i'm sure there are some other things that 
of course we would want to take an untrained, unskilled, no behavioral expertise rookie who hasn't even gotten out of the academy and fly them all over the United States <laughs> to, to face a mastermind. I think it's absolutely plausible. <laughs> so plausible. I would be writing that in a movie right now. All right, going back chronologically, let, let, let's unpack some of the stuff from the beginning. So as a prosecutor in Chicago, then, what years was that? Oh my gosh, I don't know, a long time ago. Uh, uh, 90 to something. 97 when I joined the FBI. Okay, because so I, I, I lived in America from 91 till about 2007. And I, I saw there's a, a massive gang problem. All these, you know, mm -hmm. Bloods, Crips, Gangster Disciples, right. Latin Kings, all this stuff. What was the gang culture like in Chicago during those years when you were a prosecutor? Oh, it was, yeah, it was bad. And I was actually in charge of all of the felony drug cases. So the attorneys who were working those kind of cases, I was working the felony drug appeals. So whatever the cases were, whether it was, you know, a hit of something, you know, a little bit of crack, a little bit of rock, a little bit of whatever, or, you know, kilos, all of those cases kind of came through my office. And a lot of, I mean, those were really all gang related cases. I mean, very rarely do you have somebody who's dealing drugs who isn't affiliated with somebody. Yeah. And did you see uh, violence escalate from the drug gangs over the years? It, do it just does. I mean, gangs and, the, you know, the scariest part about right now is that um, uh, the, the uh, people who are carrying guns are younger and younger and younger. And the people willing to use them are younger and younger. It, you know, when I was prosecuting, we would there was kind of this view that, oh, if it's a minor you know, you're not going to prosecute them for in the for a felony. And now, you know, we're charging 15 year olds with triple murders. And, you know, that just didn't happen before. But now the 15 year olds are carrying the guns. Exactly the same in the UK and the murder, the knife crime and the weapons in London now is at all time high. Oh. Um, but yeah, we could we could talk that, that a lot about that. But let's let's move on to other things. We've got limited time. So Hajit Singh has sent a question on Facebook. What's the most shocking or bizarre unexplained thing Catherine's ever seen in her career? Great question. Oh my gosh, the most shocking. Um, well, let me work backwards and think about that while I give you this uh, filler answer that the coolest thing I ever worked on <laughs> is uh, an 88 year old woman who was kidnapped from her home, which was really pretty bizarre because she was kidnapped by these two Jamokes who um, stole her in the middle of the night. And then for a couple of days, her family was like, yeah, you know, well, she, she might not be gone. Maybe she just like drove away. And the next day they found her car in a snow covered field, half a mile down from the house. And the family still said, we're not going to call the police. I'm like, what, what, what? And eventually about, Four days into it, it's an 88-year-old woman, four days into it, I finally got a call at the FBI from a local police officer who said, he was awesome, his name, his, he's, the, he's the guy in charge, and his name is Skippy. So I got a call from Skippy. Skippy said, hey, these are my facts. Um, this happened. This woman is not apparently around. 
Her husband is almost blind and sleeps in a different bedroom, so he heard the door open in the middle of the night. We found the phone lines to the house cut. Um, they took the car and brought the car back to the house, but in the process, they like completely ruined the crime scene, trampled all around it, messed up the car, couldn't get fingerprints, couldn't try to get anything. And the family won't really want to, doesn't want to talk to us because they don't think that we can do it. We, we, they, we're a sheriff's office and they don't trust us. And I said, well, wow. what? I mean, to me, that was very weird. So yeah. to me, that was the strangest that four days into it, I can tell you two days later, we found her alive. Two days oh, later. Oh, did you? Where yeah, was she? Two days later. She was in a motorcycle trailer parked in the back of a lot of somebody's house out in the farm country and um, in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. And it was 25 degrees outside. It's shocking. She was alive. She was chained to the floor. And he was feeding her one McDonald's hamburger every day, oh my which God. he said she, she held on to it to keep her fingers warm first. And then once oh. it got cold, she ate it. Bloody so hell. do you know what, though? Here's the best part. You know what she said when, when we found her? I was on the radio when our SWAT guys broke the lock off. She said, she said, what took you guys so long? <laughs> Would you say that she was lucky to be alive? Because don't over so many days, is, is the chance diminished? That... Right. Yes. In the time in the United States, there were what we that, that's what we call a, a true kidnapping, as opposed to like a, a a parent who takes a child, you know, who doesn't have custody of it. At the time, there were about six five or six true true kidnappings in the United States, all of the United States annually. That's it. And almost all of those uh, kidnap, I don't want to, I don't want to make people sad, but you know, kidnappers usually kill their victim in the first 24 hours. So we were wow. shocked that she was alive, shocked five days later, five wow. days later. So that was a so, very cool case, but bizarre too. Cause of so the family. We had so we had a guy on the channel, uh, Phil Chalmers, who arranged for us to interview a serial killer and a school shooter. And the remorselessness of what the school shooter versus the gloating of the serial killer was astounding. And the school shooter, the, the, the viewers, the comments really sympathized with him because as a kid, the kids had set fire to him. He was getting the hell bullied out of him. And all of these horrific things had happened to him, and he just snapped. And he snapped to the point whereby he wanted to kill the whole school. He took it out on the whole school, and he showed up, and he just he just shot indiscriminately, which is a horrific thing. Which he's he, you know he took responsibility for, and he's he's regretted it for the rest of his life. And actually, one of the kids uh, from the school, he started writing to her, one of his classmates, a female, and they're married now. And he's wow. he's going to be yeah he's going to be getting out and hopefully living a normal life, but looking at the root causes of these things, then I was very curious as to your perspective. What is it? What are the root causes of school shootings? Yeah, you know that's a great comparison because somebody who's a serial killer, he's a narcissist and he has a you know he has a lot of psychoses issues that really aren't the same situation as a school shooter. That's why when, when you mentioned in the beginning that I was the active shooter, uh, the person who created the FBI's active shooter program and ran it. Well, active shooter is really these, what we think of as spontaneous. They're planned 
events, but like a school shooter, it's a planned event. A serial killer is just a murderer. A school shooting is somebody who uh, plans because they have these perceived or real grievances and they build it up until they decide they have to do something about it, which is probably exactly what you heard with that young man. And you didn't say man, but I'm betting it is because 98, 99% of them are men. Um, and the school shooters often, um, especially uh, here, all of secondary school, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, all of those shooters generally come from their own school. So they're, they're, they're feeling the stress in their own school and they go back to their school or their home and they go back to school and shoot completely different. That's part of the book that I wrote. There are um, three chapters just on who are these people and why, and how can you find them? That's really, you know, why I wrote the book is like you, you civilian, you have to find these because police never find them. But you know, uh, the FBI research showed 92% of the time a schoolmate has specific information that was leaked to them by the shooter 92% of the time and doesn't report it. So almost every time doesn't report it. So, so sad. Um, and so they're really people who are struggling way before they think about doing this. Very few of them are just um, saying, hey, I want to grow up to be a, a murderer. I want to grow up to be a, a mass murderer and, you know, and, and, and shoot up my school. They, don't, they never start out that way but they end up that way. How many of them end up shooting themselves? About 30% for school shooters, about 30%. It's a little lower. You know, most of the shootings like this in the United States are actually in places of business, half of them. And only in, in the um, schools is about 25, 20 to 25% of these types of shootings, these mass shootings occur in schools. It's just that they're so horrific. The one that we just had down in Texas, 19 children killed uh, and two adults. Uh, just like you just shake your head. There's like nothing else you can do. Like if you're listening to this, instead of watching it, if you're not shaking your head when I say 19 children killed, children killed you just got to shake your head. Do it even if you don't do it, even if you don't want to. Even um, you, you mentioned earlier then that there were there were some minority of female school shooters. Is it the same backstories for the females or are the different things that trigger the females? You know, in the FBI's research, um, which I started, you know, back in 2000, we went back to 2000 and they've continued it since I left the FBI. So 22 years of research, there's been 13 female shooters out of several hundred, right? Wow. Out, of, out of 300 situations, 300 plus shootings, 13 women. So, and sometimes those women are coming with a spouse or a boyfriend, uh, but where the women are the shooters are in places of business. Those handful of women, they're going back to their office because they've been wronged. Be nice to the women you work with. Wow. Are there certain states, I mean, for example, in California, we see a lot more serial killer activity. Are there certain states that have more uh, shooter activity? Now we're we're a uh, equal opportunity provider here. T the worst states in the United States for these types of mass shootings: California, Texas, Florida are two are three largest states in terms of population. So it kind of tracks on it. But e almost every state in the union has had one of these shootings. So is that is California just has so many by virtue of its size than its population size? Right, right, and there are equally as many in Texas as California. And Texas is just a huge state too.
it's like so what i don't know huge what can be done to prevent shooters well you know what i what i want people to do is uh pay attention to the people around them none of these one of the differences about these kinds of shootings is you know a person who's a narcissist a person who's got psychosis that makes them a serial killer you know they are hiding things over time and and planning these kinds of mass shooters they plan too um, but it's a trajectory first they get angry they have some grievance they hate you know the guy who parks in their parking spot at work or you know that bullying like you said at school but not all the shooters are bullied but which which i think is a common myth um and not all the shooters are young average age of a shooter like this is 35 not 20. Um, but the people who do this uh, are people who they're more brittle and they just can't seem to uh, accept the things around them. That's part of it. They're, they're oftentimes abused. Uh, you know, they get abused, uh, they get bullied, uh, they turn on and they turn and do that to them, to, to other people. So you'll see that they're kind of bullies. Um, and so when people say, oh, well, he was bullied, he also might bully, right? And the guys who do this often are um, people who they start to, here's what you watch for. Here's what you need to watch for. They change their appearance, right? They start wearing different clothes. They shave their hair a different way. They maybe stop taking their medication. They start talking about guns. They start talking about other shooters. They start admiring them posting pictures of themselves with a gun, big warning sign, um, posting pictures of themselves pointing the gun, big warning signs. And, you know, it's definitely uh, because so many also want to commit suicide, look for the signs that you would for suicide, because those are the same things. If somebody in your house wants to commit suicide, you know, wouldn't you reach out to, the, to, to, to get them some help? And here's, if you don't want to reach out, let me tell you this. Of these shooters in our research um, at the FBI, 10% of them killed a family member before they did their shooting, 10%. So you reach out, you could be saving your own family. Wow. The guy down in Uvalde, Texas, shot his grandmother in the face before he left for the school. You touched on nice something guy. interesting the, then you mentioned about um, stopping medication. So is there a correlation between people coming off psychotropic medication and doing these shootings? Not really. I mean, that national, there, there's, first of all, the number of, the amount of violence that has to do with gun violence in the United States, even though it seems like this is horrific, there were 61, the FBI just recently released this information, there were 61 of these types of shootings last year, which means more than one a week, right? When I was working on it, uh, at the FBI, when I started my initial research, it took eight years to get to 61 shootings. Now we're there in one year. But those shootings are still um, not really related or connected to medication, mental health. Uh, somebody not get, it's more, like, more likely that somebody's maybe not getting the mental health they need, so they're not dealing with the anxiety and the stress. It's not really a not to say that mental health isn't an issue. It is an issue, but it's not the issue. Bigger so, issues are like financial problems and problems with relationships. So you've got the tension building and then the brittle mind and then the brittle mind snaps and bam, 
Okay, we're mm -hmm. going to take a few a few questions from the uh, the viewers again. So Easy E has asked, Catherine, are you aware of the FBI's case on the Founders Movement? You mean their current case on the Founders Movement? Their historical not, case? I think that's a reference to the historical case. I am not detailed in it enough to talk about it. I'm sorry. Okay, and Harjit has asked about the frequency of spree stabbers. Do you have spree stabbers in America? We do. You know what? I guess that we're equal opportunity here. We have very few spree stabbers because we have so many guns. Right. We have 300 plus million people in the United States and we have about 400 million guns. So we do not have that. It's a very rare occurrence when we have that in the United States. And, and it, it, it's like a one and done. So do you think the accessibility of guns versus a country like the UK where there's more stabbings, but the guns are increasing now, do you think the accessibility of guns in America um, correlates with the more murders that can be created by these shooters? It does. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't deny that we have a lot of guns here and the rest of the world doesn't. Um, we're the countries that have, if you look at the international uh, research on it, which we talk about in our podcast, um, we talked to Adam Lance, uh, and, um, and he's got great information on just that. He did research to say, hey, is the violence, if it's not guns, the same in, in the rest of the world? You have violence with knives there in the UK, but you don't have anywhere near the volume of people killed because you could do a lot more damage with a high-powered weapon. You just can't. Yeah. Makes sense. So just let me tell the viewers then, if you've got a question for Catherine, Put that in the chat, wherever you are, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, it, it is all in front of us. And we're going to keep going on these questions revolving around shooters. And what about serial killer cases? Then? Have, you, have you been assigned to any of those? Uh, serial killer cases are, are solely the purview of our behavioral team. And I work with the behavioral team, but I haven't, but I'm not, I wasn't on the behavioral team. Um, so I know that serial killers are like the coolest thing to talk about. And uh, the FBI did some great serial killer research way back when nobody was doing it to talk about what kind of things the serial killers are. So look on the FBI website if you want to see their research, if you haven't seen it, um, because very rarely do people tap that anymore. And I think it is kind of cool where they went out and looked at uh, serial killers and interviewed them. And they're in the process right now of interviewing these shooters for research that will be out pretty soon, um, but not probably in the next few weeks. Serial killers are... I worked in Milwaukee um, when Jeffrey Dahmer was there. And I think Jeffrey Dahmer was, um, you know, he not only killed his victims, he kept pieces of them in the refrigerator and ate some of them. And he was a little strange to say the least. And in fact, you know, uh, we ended up, get, his house was raised, not surprisingly, because he was, you know, they, the neighborhood was like, we can't have this house here anymore because he had done all his acts there. And I don't know if serial killers are, are following me because now that I think about it, John Wayne Gacy, I was in Chicago working when John Wayne Gacy was there. And so, which goes way back. And he's the guy who had the, um, the we were working that case when he had the kids buried in his basement and he, he would meet them by playing a clown at neighborhood parties and things. It was very, very creepy. Yeah, there's a thing on Netflix about him now. Uh, with Dahmer then, he was assassinated in prison, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very sad. 
So Dana Diamond has asked whether you have ever worked with clairvoyants or psychics during your time at the FBI. You know, um, I've worked with um, with people who sense, right, some aspect of that. When we are looking for a missing person, people reach out and say, hey, I can sense her here. And, you know, even the FBI is not going to turn away anybody who can. You have a dog you think can track somebody even though they left in a car? Bring them on. We'll try them. So I, when we had uh, one particular particular person, a younger person kidnapped um, up in Wisconsin. We did just that. We worked with a woman who said she could sense whether the child was still alive and the child was there. And, um, and we worked with another woman who had a dog, literally, who, who she said could track through the state even via car. Now, that was a little less successful, but I will say that the child who, the child that the woman was sensing where the child was and whether the child was still alive, she was pretty spot on. Banana Man has asked whether you've ever been to a body farm. I don't even know what a body farm is. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, you're actually touching on my next book. I'm working on another book that is about body farms. So uh, body farm people. Body farm is a, um, there's a, there's a handful of them. And anybody who's working forensics, you, if you're going to dig up something and it's body parts or bodies, you got to get experience at the body farm. So there's a couple of those in the United States, and actually there's one that's a frozen body farm up in up in the Michigan, which is kind of creepy. Um, and they take bodies and body parts, bury them, and then the and then the uh, and then the forensic people learn how to dig them up and identify what they are. So that's what a body farm is. Um, so yes, I have, um, and there and I have some. I actually have a very good friend who teaches uh at the body farm two two people who who not actually teach they're they're so good at it they teach how to dig up bodies it's kind of creepy oh my goodness so early on in your career then do you have to attend autopsies and stuff like that yeah it's just kind of part of the stuff you you have to just know what the whole business is a lot of times when you're the agent you're a lot of times you're the only one out there and if that means you've got to stop somebody from doing something. If that means you got to pick up a body part and transport it, you do. I mean, the, there are things like the one of the hijackers on 9-11, uh, whose body, uh, she was on a plane that hit in New York. Her hands with the handcuffs still on them from the hijackers were severed, but still intact. And they were put in a cooler and driven from New York down to Quantico to our forensics people. Um, so creepy we hand transport stuff to make sure it gets there so i've done my share of hand transporting but not hands how do you internalize that Catherine? it must have an effect on the psyche yeah i think i try not to look uh i'm i i have a lot of uh, i have a lot of friends who i used to manage the uh, photographers at our washington dc field office who would go out and shoot the pictures at you know all these crime scenes and We'd go out there and I'd, you know, I'd kind of say, yeah, you guys go right over there, go right in there. I just, I try not to look at the, they were all like, I like to shoot the, we, we had a plane, for instance, we had a train, for instance, two trains who crashed and the trains, um, when they crashed together, they turned the sides of the train into like steel knives that just went through the cars and cut the bodies apart and one of my photographers was saying, yeah, I really like to do like shoot the blood on the, on the windows. I'm like, you're sick. 
<laughs> you're wow. sick. But wow. she, I just, I kind of try not to spend too much time staring at the crime scene. It's just, you can't, you can't unsee it. That's what I do. I, you can't unsee it. And I try not to relate it to my family and my friends. So on a lighter note then, Wetworks asked whether you painted the picture in the background. Do you do art therapy? I wish I did. My sister painted that. Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous, and it? It, 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 yeah. it sets a lovely energy for that room, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, yes, it's a, it's a beautiful, she's an incredibly talented artist in Michigan, unsung, no, not famous, uh, teaches, teaches watercolor and oils and super talented and should, should sell everything and should be famous. But she isn't because she isn't. She, oh. she doesn't want to be, I guess, or something. But thank you oh. for asking. And I will tell Christine, Christine <laughs> Fleischman, I will tell her that you complimented it. Definitely. Christine Waugh Fleischman. And does Christine have a website people can check her art out at? Yeah, let me spell her last name. It's W-A-U-G-H hyphen F-L-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N, Fleischman, two N's. Christine, just a good Irish Catholic name. Christine, okay. like mine. I'm a good Irish Catholic kid named Schweit. How does that happen? That'll teach me to get married. <laughs> Short order cookers asked, do the FBI still use remote viewers? Uh, yeah, we use a lot of things. <laughs> we have a lot of toys. That was, that was the most fun for me. Uh, when I was in FBI headquarters, I was assigned to the division that we call the toys division. And they have incredible toys they work with the lab and they have things that i mean i remember seeing things especially because i worked espionage cases i remember seeing things that you know about now but i was seeing them 20 years ago it was so cool so fun toys in the air on the ground under the ground Ibifa Groove has asked, what's Catherine's view on the 1978 Jonestown incident in Guyana? Crazy person and a lot of naive people. Not a lot of, a lot of people who are willing to follow somebody who had a simple answer. And, and, uh, and I think probably we, in the country here, I think we probably learned some mistakes. We, we learned from the mistakes about allowing people to join cults and even our, you know, we had, uh, we had a congressman killed uh, on the ground out there, I think. And uh, it's just a terrible, terrible situation, not and other people besides a congressman, but that shows how we were trying to work something out instead of just recognizing that we were dealing with a very unstable person and the, and his cult following got worse and worse and worse. Plus everybody says that's the Kool-Aid situation. But that was not Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid company says that, please point out, it's not Kool-Aid they were drinking. They were drinking whatever that other stuff is that's orange and you mix it up. Okay, so, so this might, we run out of time. This might be the last question. So um, Justin wants to know about killers using animals to get rid of corpses, for example, hogs. Yes, that happens sometimes. It's gross and disgusting. It doesn't happen as much as you might think. But boy, when it does, it is a uh, disgusting, disgusting situation. And also, really, there's only so many places where you can just dump a body with wild hogs, right? Maybe Florida, but not a lot of places in the rest of the country. <laughs> Maybe 
take me to Texas. <laughs> so I, I love I do your t- questions. Oh my gosh, you have crazy, crazy listeners and viewers with great it's, questions. I never get to answer. <laughs> it's a variety, isn't it? Uh, perhaps this will be the last question. So I, I do talks in schools. I do drugs education. So if you were doing talks in schools, Catherine, what what would you say to the kids to try and identify or prevent shooters? I would say I would say first of all, all the people who you are sitting around are the ones who are can can turn into a school shooter if we don't take care of them. So you have to take care of people just like your parents take care of you. And if your parents don't take care of you, then find somebody to take care of you. And don't ever think that anybody wants to be a school shooter. But I will tell you this, in training in the United States, we train kids kids to uh, run, hide, fight at you, run, hide, tell, I think is what it is in the UK. And in the United States, run, hide, fight, they really only teach the hide part in schools, but they need to teach the run. Children can't be killed if they're alive, if they're running, if they're running away, they'll stay alive. So they just run, 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 run. If you think you're in danger, run away. Nobody cares how stupid you look, run away. Would you like to tell the viewers where they can find you, follow you and get your book? I would, if you don't mind. Look, I have one, here's my book. Stop the Killing, How to End the Mass Shooting Crisis. But I will say that more important than uh, anything, if you can spell my name, Catherine Schweit, see it's on the book. Um, it, I, my website is katherineschweit.com, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-S-C-H-W-E-I-T, katherineschweit.com. And it has all kinds of stuff, resources, everything. Thanks so much. You guys are the best. Oh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it. And you have a great rest of your day and uh, enjoy the art. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to call Christine right now and tell her how she's famous now. Definitely. Thank you, Catherine. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. Bye. 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 All right. That was absolutely fascinating. And we are now moving on to our second guest on Atwood Unleashed episode. 65, Antonio Nicosa, who teaches courses on social history of organized crime in Canada, mafia culture and the power of symbols, rituals and myth at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. He is prolific with more than 30 books published, including Global Mafia in 1995 that concerned international criminal partnerships. And in line with some of the most in-demand subjects we've covered on the channel, He's going to be speaking about how the Mafia had close relationships with none other than the Freemasons. <laughs> Everything we do on this channel, they've got the Freemasons uh, involved in it. We get tons of questions. So, without any further ado, let us bring in Antonio. And if you've got a question about the Freemasons and the Mafia, or any of his other books, please put them in the chat wherever you're watching this in the world. Huge thank you for coming on, Antonio. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts are you? Oh, um, presently I'm uh, in uh, in, uh, Vermont. I'm... I'm in Vermont. Oh, I'm in Vermont teaching graduate students about cybercrime and organized crime in general. Uh, the topic of Freemasonry is not my area of expertise, but as an historian, I try to cover all aspects of 
the relationship that uh, the mafia and mafia-like criminal organizations uh, engage uh, with the other entities, including the Freemasonry. So what was your initial discoveries about that relationship? Well, first of all, they have uh, many things in common. Uh, the ritual, uh, the symbols, the myth, the, the, the secrecy, the sense of the loyalty. I, 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 I believe that the, they had the, um, one inspired the other, especially uh, in the 1800s when uh, many common criminals were uh, uh, detained uh, with uh, uh, political dissidents in, in Italy, especially the uh, so-called Carbonari, um, the charcoal burners. And they were fighting against the Bourbons and they were, their goal was the unification of Italy. And I uh, believe that uh, in the uh, Bourbon prisons, uh, they were. They had the chance to learn uh, the importance of secrecy, the importance of loyalty, the importance of uh, symbols, uh, ritual, and and myth. Actually, if you analyze the ritual, uh, the initiation ritual of uh, the Drangheta, the mafia, and many other Italian-based criminal organizations are very similar to uh, the one inspired by Freemasons. Could you describe the symbols and the rituals that overlap? Sometimes, yes, because they have the same purpose. Imagine the idea of justified violence. Uh, the carbonari, the charcoal burners, goal was to free the forest from wolves, practically to free Italy from foreigners, from people that uh, dominate uh, 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 Italy before the unification on the many states that uh, um, made up uh, the Italian peninsula. And, and the idea of uh, justify anything with the goal of uh, freed forests from wolves practically inspired criminals to do the same, to sacralize and ritualize the violence. The idea that uh, any act of violence was justified to protect uh, uh, the organization, to, uh, um, uh, to um, impose a sense of loyalty. Uh, for example, we learn, and it's a word um, that is famous worldwide, we learn about omerta or omerta, uh, and we assume that it is the code of silence. But uh, some uh, theory uh, see, shows that, uh, that uh, omerta um, was uh, a, a, um, the Italianization of a dialect word uh, that was uh, um, umirta, means be humble, be obedient. And obedience is uh, the fundamental aspect of uh, uh, secret society. So the idea that uh, omerta uh, derived from umirta, be humble, be obedient, uh, is another thing that uh, probably they learn 
from this relationship originally in a relationship with the member of para-freemasonry organization like the, the Carbonari, the charcoal burner. Yeah, so I've listened to Sammy the Bull Gravano and Michael Francis talk about their initiation into the mafia, taken into the basement. The the hand is is punctured to to release some blood, and there's a a saint, and they have to swear that you know the the mafia is the most important thing. They will always answer to them over above their family and everything else. Did you find that the initiation ceremonies for the Freemasons have similar rhetoric and pledges yes exactly the same concept but um, but if you can expand you could expand uh, the analysis to many other uh, criminal organizations from the yakuza to the to the triads to the vori vietzakonya in 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 in, the, in, in russia uh, they have a, the purpose uh, to create a sense of belonging and a sense of identity. Uh, it's not important the ritual itself, the idea of the fingerprint, the burning photo of a saint, but it's important the fact that everyone go through to the same ritual. And the idea to go through to the same ritual create a sense of uh, belonging and the sense of identity and and, and, and and make them to feel uh, special. In the case of the mafia, uh, make uh, people believe that they are men of honor, uh, selected people, because uh, one of the characteristic is the um, limited membership. You cannot apply and enter into the mafia. It's uh, a mobster that, that would identify you and uh, uh, it's like a talent scout and, uh, and and bring that individual into the organization. So they work on the psychological aspect and they make people believe that they have been selected because they are spatial people. And so they feel spatial and they feel more spatial after the ritual of initiation because that's it's what made them, like uh, uh, the made men uh, of honor, as uh, uh, many informants in Cosa Nostra uh, told uh, the police and court. So we've interviewed many people who have been associated with the Mafia, and you know, one of them, for example, told me he was in the military, and when he joined the Mafia, his understanding was it, it's kill or be killed in the gangster world. That's what we're signing up for. But when you sign up for the Freemasons, it, it's it's not overt criminality, is it? When you're first joining the Freemasons, isn't it advertised as net, you know, a net to network uh, for business relationships? And and does criminal does criminality enter the Masons at some level of the power structure? Yeah, but I don't think we should generalize or criminalize the Freemasonry. No, the Freemasonry, which emerged in Britain in the early 18th century, is one of the probably British most successful cultural exports. Help 
to keep together and, and create a network through the, um, the, the, the British Empire, but has many things that has to do with secrecy. Um, practically, uh, arose, has arose the passions ranging from a deadly conspiracy to Pius uh, loyalty. But uh, I, I, I think there is a, a, a little bit of misconception about, uh, about the Freemasonry. Freemasonry is um, uh, 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 an organization uh, that, uh, that in some time has, uh, many times had uh, positive and, and good uh, uh, goals and, and, and purposes. And then uh, they are lodges of uh, the, this important and noble concept of the Freemasonry that uh, deviated and, and, and engage in, in, in things that are very questionable. For example, the case of Italy, if you're thinking about the Freemasonry in Italy, at one point there was a kind of a Freemasonry that uh, starts to uh, uh, organize the members in order to control all important aspects of the Italian state. Uh, the so-called uh, uh, P2, uh, Propaganda 2. And uh, at one point, especially uh, within Dendrangheta, uh, Dendrangheta, in order to, uh, to uh, uh, enter into, uh, to, to build links to politicians and to businessmen, they decide that they should introduce a new rank within the organization. And they create this, the rank of a Santista. Um, and, and that was a, a way to authorize uh, members of a criminal organization to access Freemasonry, or at least deviated the lodge of the Freemasonry. And the idea that they could not be loyalty any longer to one single organization, but could enter into a lodge of the Freemasonry with the idea that they will be able to sit around the table with important people and to share money and power. That is a deviated concept of a Freemasonry, not necessarily the original one, but uh, this is uh, what happened in Italy. That may happen in many other parts of the world. The idea that you join an organization to uh, gain personal advantage and, and not to contribute to uh, the improvement or the betterment of the society. And that is the fundamental conflict. The idea, I joined the Freemasonry because I want to help and create a better society, or I join the Freemasonry in some country, in some lodges, because I want to gain more power. And that's it's, uh, what happened systematically in many, many parts of the world. 
Okay, so we had a strange sound uh, during the interview. Is there a phone or a device near the microphone or near the computer? Ash has asked if if um, if there's if there's anything. No, nothing there. Okay, no worries. Let's keep going. It's not it's not made that noise for a while. So um, my next question is then. Okay, so so the Freemasons have got a relationship with the mafia. That's that's one of the things that you've said. Is is that correct? Yes, they, they actually was more that the mafia that had relationship with some lodges of the Freemasonry, uh, and so uh, this is uh, it's important to uh, uh, clarify because uh, we should not uh, uh, criminalize the entire organization. When we're talking about Freemasonry, we talk about an organization with good people, bad people. And uh, at one point, uh, I, I, I explained that uh, uh, the, 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 the Freemasonry or some lodges of the Freemasonry enter into a, a very questionable dynamic. Uh, the idea to get together to uh, achieve uh, power and the idea that they were open to this uh, uh, concept of uh, of uh, putting together people of different background with the idea of sharing power, uh, that was one of the uh, moment when Italian-based criminal organization decided to enter into some lodges of the Freemasonry with the idea to acquire more power. Okay, so... What is your definition of power? Because you, you've said that the Freemason, there's no criminality, but then there's this relation, there's a power-based relationship, and the mafia is about criminality. So surely there has to be an exchange of criminality into the Freemasons that are forming a relationship with the mafia. Are you saying that they're just bad apples? They are bad apples, and of course, uh, sometimes to achieve the power, you don't use. Uh, democratic mechanism and process. You use violence, you use intimidation, and that's its, uh, uh, the, the difference. When you build a, 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 a lodge that uh, has, a, uh, has a goal, uh, the power, uh, but uh, put together people capable to use violence, capable to build strategic alliances uh, uh, through violence, uh, that's it's, uh, what uh, uh, distinguishes uh, when you acquire power through a democratic process uh, based on consensus of people. And when you try to achieve uh, power using a questionable uh, system and method, and, 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 and I think the idea of uh, people get together and to use violence uh, it's another way to achieve power. All right, let me just tell the viewers then. We've got about 10 minutes left. If you've got any questions, please put them in the chat. Whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, we will see them on the screen here. And my next question then is, what is the relationship between the Vatican, the Italian Mafia, and the Freemasons? But, but, but... The relationship between the Mafia and the Vatican was a relation that they built when 
many mobsters uh, started to use uh, the Vatican Bank to launder money. And that's it's, uh, an aspect uh, related to a uh, specific uh, period of time. Uh, of course, uh, in Italy, uh, there was a long and, and silent relationship between the mafia and the religion, uh, the, 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 the church, uh, because at one point the mafia uh, was helpful uh, to the church and vice versa, because the enemies of uh, uh, the church were the communists. And, uh, and, and, and so there was uh, a silent agreement between the, 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 the church and the mafia that they had a common enemies. And for many years, the, the Vatican ignored the existence of the, the, the mafia. And the, there were some people, some cardinals, who would say that the mafia was an invention of journalists and communists. So there was a relationship recently uh, after the Pope Francis excommunicated mobsters and see a different approach. Many people now are uh, fighting the mafia and acknowledge that the mafia is a problem, is a threat. And I think uh, they are moving in the right direction. There are still some uh, connection at the local level, but I think uh, uh, there is uh, many chances that uh, uh, they could uh, turn the page and move uh, to the next step. And what about the Vatican's relationship with Freemasons? Well, this is another aspect that uh, uh, historically put the two in, uh, in, 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 in conflict. And uh, for many years, being a Catholic was uh, um, was uh, incomparable to be like a Mason, a Freemason, and so practically there was this uh, the, the churches communicate uh, free uh, masonry, uh, and, and that was uh, uh, a moment in which there was no. A relationship uh, between the Freemasonry and, 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 and the church. I think now there is a more dialogue. There is not a conflict that there used to be. And, and I think there is a, a way to uh, clear and, 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 and to um, analyze all the conflict of the past. I think this is a moment when uh, but they can uh, reflect on what they they did in the past. So you mentioned um, like communism versus fascism, then going going back throughout history. So what was how, how did uh, Mussolini treat the mafia, and how did Mussolini treat the Freemasons? What what was his relationship with that with those like? Okay, Mussolini uh, um, practically. Uh, fought the Freemasonry uh, because uh, he uh, asked for complete loyalty to anyone in the national uh, party. And practically, uh, he practically 
say that anyone who works for the state uh, should have uh, any uh, affiliation with the secret uh, society. And so it was impossible during Mussolini to be uh, a member of the Freemasonry. He had the same approach with the mafia, but he fought only the low level of the mafia. Uh, the rest is rhetoric. The idea that uh, he defeated the mafia, he fought the mafia. This is uh, this is uh, uh, this is wrong uh, because uh, during. Uh, uh, the 20 years that he was in power, he at one point sent a, uh, an important policeman in Sicily to fight against the mafia. But the result was that he was able to arrest and defeat only the low level because the uh, high ranking of the mafia joined the national uh, uh, fascist uh, party uh, uh, led by Mussolini, and, 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 and that's it's uh, and that's it's what uh, what uh, uh, we learn even from a book written by this policeman who was sent in Sicily to fight against the mafia. At one point, when he understood that there was a very high level connected to the fascist party, he was promoted senator and he was moved to Rome. So, and that was the end of the fight against the mafia. We've got a question from a viewer, Ray J. Was the P2 Lodge shut down because the mafia and Vatican bankers were members? was shut down because at one point uh, 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 the, the, the list of the members ended in the wrong end and uh, uh, because uh, practically uh, they discovered that uh, they were uh, trying to get the power uh, in Italy and, 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 and to um, introduce a kind of uh, um, to take over practically Italy, and, and, and that was uh, the reason. But in the P2, there were people from uh, many uh, parts, many uh, entities, uh, probably including people in the Vatican, people in the mafia, people in the from the economic and the financial sector, from politics, from law enforcement. So it was a, a well-connected lodge of the Freemasonry, but I, I could say that that was something that betrayed the original concept of a, of a Freemasonry to create a power system, a very violent power system. That were the time when people connected to P2 propaganda too, were laundered money from the Mafia and from the Vatican. So uh, there was a lot of uh, confusion. I think that was one of the darkest moments in Italian history. We've got a question from Barbie. Is it true that the Freemasons don't trust or like the Vatican because the Catholic Pope tortured and murdered the Knights Templars? 
No, I, I don't think so. Um, I think uh, even the, the Templar, uh, the Knights, uh, they may be more legendary figures, that uh, historical figures, but the idea of this conflict uh, has political, uh, ideological, uh, but even um, uh, uh, conceptual uh, issues. And, and I think uh, uh, that uh, the Vatican um, fought the, the Freemasonry because the Freemasonry were more rational in their approach, were more atheist in their approach. And I think uh, uh, that was the fundamental, fundamental issue of, this, uh, of, the, of the division between the Freemasonry and, 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 and the Catholic. Justin wants to know, did the link between the Mafia and the Vatican begin with the Borgias? Uh, first of all, uh, the Borgias were uh, strong and powerful when uh, the Mafia was not uh, uh, founded yet. Like a Mafia was founded in the 1800s. Uh, and so uh, before there was no uh, Mafia, there were just uh, uh, criminals or a group of criminals. The Mafia... Uh, it's an organization that uh, was born in the, the first half of 1800, but uh, we start to perceive uh, the presence and the essence of the Mafia during the process of the unification of Italy. So around 1860, uh, not earlier than, than, than that. And when we're thinking about Mafia, the Mafia is also an organization covered with the many misconceptions. Uh, because uh, when we're thinking about Mafia, we don't have to think about an organization um, created to fight against, uh, against uh, foreigners, against uh, uh, the, the, the strongest or the rich. Uh, the Mafia is a product of the ruling classes of Sicily. They create the mafia because they, they, they want someone to enforce and protect the privilege of you, the privilege of the land owners. The mafia at the beginning were a group of vigilantes, nothing more than that. And then they establish contact with the power, with the people in power, and they were for so many years protected and still today when you're thinking about mafia you're thinking about uh, uh, something that has a, a external relationship in other words there never has been a mafia without the human capitals without a social capital and when i say social capital i mean a network of trust a gray area uh, where they build a, a connection, a relationship with politicians, businessmen, uh, professionals of any kind. That's, that's what the Mafia is all about. There's loads more questions, Antonio, but we've run out of time. Our next guest is about to come in. Huge thank you. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've learned so much. And I can't imagine to write 30 books 
that's quite an achievement. Do you want to tell the viewers where they can find you online and get your books and stuff? Yeah, they can find the many books online and they can uh, Google on Amazon or many other um, uh, search engine. They will find uh, many, many books, uh, including one that uh, will be released shortly about cybercrime. All right. We wish you the best of luck with your new book then. And cheers. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. We're going to bring in the next guest now. Here is good old Andrew Gold coming in. I'm going to right, zip mate. off and leave him with Jason. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Oh, hello, Jason. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Where are you speaking to us from? I am in New York right now, but kind of all over the place. Live in Miami. I'm in New York, traveling a lot lately. Lovely. Do you reckon we can get your camera down a bit and I'll shuffle down a bit? Because otherwise I sort of tower over you. Look sure, at that. Sure. That's, now we're now yep. we're level. I think that's better, yeah? Yeah, now we're speaking on, on the same level. Tell <laughs> us a little bit about your background. That's a very, very good question because it's pretty wide in its nature. I come from a, a business background, real estate family. It's kind of how I was you know, born and raised, ready to take over and do that whole thing. And things kind of changed a few years ago. I've always been interested in the more call it like conscious realm and spiritual realm of the world. Never made it my, my full-time job or anything like that. But of course, when I decided to sort of say okay to a few things, the floodgates opened. And today I'm doing something that I never thought that I would be, which is also pretty wide. You know, writing books. I run a video streaming platform, social media platform, a lot of content that's being put out there with the overarching theme of let's just help people become aware of who they are, the power that we hold and what we can do to change this world. When did you start or, or take me through the moment when you first started feeling that we're missing parts of our history, we're not being told exactly what's what what actually happened? When I was told to stop asking those questions um, as a kid, especially throughout high school, I went to a Jewish high school. Um, mm. I had a lot of questions, you know, regarding the Bible and things like that. And I came to see because I'm a very observant person, just Everybody around me, you know, they, they weren't thinking. There was no thought process involved in what they were regurgitating. They were just saying something. So I started asking questions to a point where the headmaster of the school respectfully asked me not to show up to the Judaic Bible study classes anymore because I was, uh, I was disrupting the curriculum because I would ask a question and that question would have to be answered over the next 45 minutes of that class and they would never be able to create more robots in the curriculum as they have. So I was always a person where when you tell me that I can't do something, I'm going to ask you why, and then I'm going to try and get to the bottom of it. And we do live in a world where they try and put a lot of limitations on us. So I've always wanted to learn why, and that kind of brought me down that rabbit hole of asking hmm. questions, finding some answers, and on that path forever. Hmm, that's interesting. I had a similar thing. My school made me sign a contract saying that I'd never talk in class anymore. It was the first time they'd ever asked someone to do that because I just was always yapping away and asking questions. I had to write down questions to ask at the end. But the thing, I was probably trying to annoy the teacher more than 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you not think that maybe that's because because you went to a, a faith school i mean i'm jewish myself but i didn't go to a, one of those schools like wasn't it enough to go okay well this is what happens in these faith schools they are a bit cultish sometimes they shut down thought processes and i want to get out of outside of that and and go towards secularism and atheism and even dare i say it skepticism so so what well, that, do you know what i mean what put didn't why didn't you go down that route because I don't believe there's a God. I know that there's a God. So I can't be an atheist. To say that there isn't a creator when you are a creation, I don't even know what to answer to somebody like that. Because even if you want to say I'm an atheist, even if somebody wants to say I'm an atheist, I believe in the Big Bang, great, fine, let's go according to that story. There's still some sort of energy that brought two atoms together. So when we go deep enough Call it whatever you want. Call it God, source, creation, consciousness, aware, whatever you want to call it. There's something going on. And that's something that's going on that makes the flower bloom. That's something that's going on that makes my heart beat, that makes your blood flow. It's divine one way or another because look what's going on. It's unbelievable. So yeah. I can't – I think I, I see religion as a way to try and limit the limitless to understand the incomprehensible, you know, the, the soul may not always, or the mind may not always know what the soul already remembers, you know? And I think that that's why we're here. So I never went down the route of God doesn't exist. I went down the route of, is this the God that we're talking about, right? In religion, I think religion in many ways bastardized the the divine creator, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I, I see it as a, as a way of control. So I do still love the the background of the books like the bible but i believe that we're not necessarily reading it the right way you know just because you read something doesn't mean you actually understand what it says even if you understand the words so i see my journey and and the journey that i i hope to kind of bring everybody along the way on and and share is reaching the level of awareness that will allow us to interpret the universe around us and within us in the best way possible in a limitless way instead of a way of i just want to know because it's like that's the ego you know we don't need that yeah i do yeah. want to know though and i want to know what happened with the great pyramids for example it drives me mad that i don't know exactly i think the consensus scientifically and correct me if i'm wrong i actually don't know very much about this is that egyptians got slaves to build them and i imagine you're going to tell me that's not probably the case or or what will you tell me actually I, you know what forget that i've just imagined what you're going to say you do you tell me what what went on with them well first of all i don't want to what i'm about to say next i don't want to say hey i know what happened i don't okay i i could say i think based on x y and z you know even which i don't but even if i had my own memory of a reincarnation that's still through the lens of my own awareness so i'm never going to sit here telling you i know because i don't but what i think based on connecting the dots and the experiences that i've had and the research that i've read and documents that i've read that's available to everybody you know is let's just go through this logically we don't know how they built the pyramids for sure we have theories they're theories and not facts because we don't actually know but if they were slaves doing it, do you think that the level of perfection with those angles and stones from, from God knows where hundreds and hundreds of miles away to choose specific stones and all that, do you really think that 
slaves would have built that. It's too perfect and beautiful for that to be the work of a slave. And if you go according to the hieroglyphics, you will see that there is literally, I mean, it's drawn. It's, it's, it's said right there. And there's a very big missing part of history. And by the way, this goes back to also what would be the incentive of hiding the technology that we had back then? And back to logic, let's ask ourselves, well, if we knew for a fact that 3,000 years ago, we had technology that defies the laws of physics and defies technology that we have today, what would happen? Well, it would be a win for humanity, but it would be a lose for the trillion dollar industries because they need you to rely on oil. They need you to rely on energy that they meter and charge you for. They need you to think that you're not powerful, that you don't have this, this power within you to use resonance as a way to move boulders. But what if we did? Well, hang on. We've gotten ahead of ourselves because I just because people who who don't know anything about the the pyramids because you're saying you know how could they have done these precise angles and stuff? Could you give us um, an idea of what kinds of of things just in a basic layman terms? Sure, what sure, kind sure. of things are, are quite exceptional? There are many pyramids all around the world, which is another very interesting thing. If they were built thousands of years ago and we're told that we're all separate civilizations, how did they all build the same thing? Maybe we were ah. disconnected, right? But um, Take angles, for example. The, the one in Cairo, the great one, is built at 51 degrees, if I'm not mistaken. 51 degree angle, which is an angle of healing based on how the sun also works with sun rays and light and how it brings things down. There's a whole science behind it. Angles, the stones that were used for electrical conductivity, this is all facts. You know, you see certain stones used in different parts of the pyramid. If they just wanted to build a tomb, then build, build a tomb. Why do you have to use certain stones on the top? Why do you have to use other stones on the bottom? Why are the shapes different? How did you bring tons and tons and tons of weight all the way up there? You know, so ask yourself about the shape because there is mysticism behind the shape. And if you go to the mysticism, you will see that, first of all, back then, the Hebrew language before Judaism existed, because it's not a Jewish language, the Hebrew language was adopted by the Hebrews who became the Jews after the Exodus. The Hebrew language was used by the pharaohs at the time. The Hebrews actually spoke Aramaic, and the pharaohs used what we call Hebrew today because it's a language that was discovered, not created. Now, let me give you the difference. A language that's created is English. We created that. We gave things meaning. A language that's discovered is just how math works. We didn't create math. We discovered math. So if you've ever heard of gematria, which is highly connected to the mysticism of the shape of the pyramid, you would know that in the Hebrew language, for example, the Hebrew language holds a code. It's like an alphanumerical code that's associated with each letter. If you type in gematria chart or Hebrew gematria chart on Google, you'll see images. Aleph, which is the first letter, is one. Bet, which is the second letter, is two and so on and so forth. So there are certain words in the Hebrew language, for example, the word chai means life. Chet and yud, if you take both of those letters, you're gonna get 10 and eight. When you get 10 and eight, you get 18. 18 is the resonance of life. So all of these numbers were used to discover that language and the resonance of life, the resonance of love, and that's how they built the pyramid. So when it comes to the actual shape and the mysticism, you see, for example, five points. Four points on the base, one apex on top. Five is the letter He. It represents the letter of God. 
That's, that's the fifth letter. You take 10 different sides, five outer sides, four, one, two, three, four, and the bottom, and five inner walls. Five plus five is 10. 10 represents giving. There are all these numbers in the way that energy moves through that shape. For example, eight vertices. If you count all the lines that make up the third dimensional pyramid, you will get to the number eight. What does eight represent? Infinity. It's literally the shape. That's what the number is. So I'm just giving you some examples of how certain numbers were used to build the shape of the pyramid to begin with. And of course, certain people today have bastardized that as well. So we've taken the number 666 and turned it into something satanic. But 666, if you add it up, equals 18. It's the resonance of life. You take the number 13, they've turned it into something that's unlucky. But 13, if you take the word love in Hebrew, which is ahava, and you add those four letters up, you're going to get to the number 13. They knew these things. And today, what do they do? What's good, they tell us it's bad. And what's bad, they tell us it's good. That's why there's fluoride in your water. And that's why 666 is something that has been turned to become satanic. It's all inverted. Hmm. And we got to yeah. reclaim our, our freedom. I got a, a an old friend of mine who uses that, so the Hebrew number system. Uh, what was yeah. it, Gematria? Is that how you pronounce it? Gematria, yeah. He he does it to, to do betting on sports games because he's convinced there's a big sort of scandal and mm. cover-up and he's doing all that. But he says he hasn't cracked the code yet. He keeps losing money. <laughs> I, I don't know of anything when it comes to sports betting, but um, definitely when it comes to numbers, you see it everywhere. You know, it's, mm. it, there are a lot of codes everywhere, when, especially when it comes to the Bible. I don't know anything to do with the Bible code, but there are codes embedded there. And, and as we become more aware of the power of these numbers, it's a form of technology. You can use it to do something bad. You could use it to do something good. And just like you could use a knife to, to kill somebody, you could use a knife to make a salad. So it's not the knife that's bad. It's what's the intention of the operator behind that whole thing, you know? And that's my intention of raising awareness about these things. So they knew about numbers and symbolism and stuff. So they could have just done this stuff then, couldn't they? Why, why couldn't an architect have said at the time, like, hey, okay, the, you know, hi or whatever is this many numbers and we want to have some symbolism in there. Is, is it just that you think it's too complex to have done so much of this at the time? Well, they literally cannot rebuild the pyramids with those sizes of stones today. They can't pick up. You don't have a crane to pick up that stone. And in addition to that, in the hieroglyphics, you see pictures of how they built it. You see technology that's being used. You see things that look like craft. So call that an interpretation. But, you know, it's it's there. there there's too much interconnectivity around the world. With all of these things happening all around the place, there had to be some sort of level of communication between all of them. And I do believe that we were very, very advanced back then, spiritually speaking. And over a period of time, it, it's become bastardized and we became more physically oriented. So today, we're very physically oriented. We've become masters in the third dimensional physical realm. But if we don't understand the, the, the I call it like the, the spiritual laws, the laws of the spirit world that dictate the laws of the physical world, then you'll end up in a very disconnected world like the pharmaceutical industry because they don't see the interconnectivity between things. They'll give you a pill like Accutane that will get rid of your acne, but it will destroy your liver because we've lost awareness. We have a lot of knowledge, but if you have all these puzzle pieces and don't understand the bigger picture puzzle of how to put them together, 
it's very dangerous. And, and the yeah. medical industry is a perfect example of that. So you're not saying that the, Egypt, the ancient Egyptians had electricity, say, because you're, you're, I think you're saying we, we've mastered the physical world in that sense in, in a way they didn't. But, but you're saying they might have had a, a spiritual way, a spiritual replacement for electricity, a substitute, let's say, yeah, where they I'm, could communicate I'm, with each other. In my opinion, I'm sure that they had electricity because they even have paintings of hieroglyphics of them using electricity. You see it. Get so out of here. you see Come it. Come on. Look into it. I'll send you links. See you see it. So I'm not again. <laughs> we're under the impression that Ben, I think it was who Thomas Jefferson or whatever, uh, with the light bulb and and or Thomas Edison. I don't I don't know uh -huh. my Thomas, but whoever yeah. it was, the guy that invented the light bulb with electricity and all that. If you think that only 300 years ago some guy flew a kite and figured out how to harness electricity, you're living in La La Land. We've been here for a very long time. <laughs> We've been here for uh, a very long time. There's so many unexplained things. Wow. Pyramids suggest ancient Egyptian power systems, expert says. I'm just reading that in, in a newspaper called The Express in the UK. Well, well there you go. That's, that's blowing my mind. If, yeah, if I mean, true, because I'm still not having it, because you know, I'd have to hear it more times. Dimensions with locations and geographical, geographical locations and degrees and all that. If you add them up in certain ways, you literally get the speed of light. It's like it's it's unbelievable stuff. There, there's a lot of research about this that you can look up and look into. But um, again, I, I really want to preface that I'm not saying that I know this. It's just my opinion. You said you do know they had electricity. No, I said in my opinion, I'm going to tell you that I know that they had electricity. But I want you to do a research. I still can't yeah. sit here and tell you I'm right and everybody, you know, I can't. I'm not going to do yeah. that. But Fair it's enough. like, look around you. You know, I'm, I'm just using common sense and what we can see. You know, forget what it's we It's a nice feel. idea, isn't it? Isn't it nice to think of the Egyptians having electricity? Although, what happened then? Where did it all go? What do you mean, where did it all go? their knowledge of electricity and stuff. If they had electricity, presumably they had like nice big TVs and stuff like that. Go. I mean, I'm, I'm making a leap there, but. Yeah, not, not big TVs. It's a form of harnessing energy that's inherent within the universe, just like Tesla did. Tesla figured out a way to harness energy without having us to, without having the need to meter it. But okay. Edison didn't like that. They didn't like that. He said, you can't, don't do that because we can't make money off of it. So now we're actually being charged for energy that's free. It doesn't, it doesn't cost money. We're being charged for energy that's free when we can actually harness the infinite energy of the universe. Because if you, if you go to science, there's a law, a law called the law of conservation. The law of conservation says energy cannot be created or destroyed. Therefore, it's infinite. If you can tap into the vacuum of infinite energy, you're good. And we've had the ability to do that, but it's not like they had TVs back then. You're talking about a more spiritually oriented race. They use technologies for different purposes. So it's a it's a completely different idea of electricity, not electricity to, to have an iPhone, electricity to use conductivity in the shape of a pyramid to heal, for example. It's, it's a whole different world that we're talking about that's foreign to us right now. Hmm. So they used this electricity to build the pyramids. That well, not electricity, whatever it was, a spiritual thing. And your suggestion is, I guess, that um, we could still do that, but we we're still not, do. But we're not being allowed to because of corporations, because they wouldn't benefit from it. 
Well, uh, let me give you a fact of history. There are many people over the past hundred years, Tesla included, that have come out with free energy technology. 99% of them were killed. All of them. Killed? Of course. Well, of Tesla course. as well. Do you know who Foster Gamble is? No, tell me. Okay, Foster Gamble has a movie called Thrive. Thrive Part 1 and Thrive Part 2. I suggest you watch it. He's an okay. incredible man. Maybe one day you can bring him on the show as well. He's a good friend of mine. I can make that connection. He's an okay. unbelievable guy. Actually, the heir of Procter & Gamble, okay? And he gave that all up because he didn't like the corruption that was going on there. You're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars the guy walked away from because he saw the corruption. He went on his own way. He dedicated his life to figuring out free energy solutions. And this man has traveled the world, made documentaries about it. One of the most viewed documentaries in history, hundreds of millions of views called Thrive, Thrive Part 1 and Thrive Part 2 that came out recently. And he will show you the literal, he shows you the people on camera. Some people, he had interviews with them. Suddenly they died. They don't want that out there. Mm. They don't want that out there. It, it so, will ruin a trillion dollar industry. Talk about two the oil. things here, because... Because I think most people can agree that that obviously that there's no incentive for these big companies to allow more, you know, renew, renew, renewable energy uh, or, or free energy or whatever. You know, there's no incentive for them. So I don't doubt that they might go so far as to kill someone who knows what they might do. And then the other thing is, did these historic people have this this way that we could now probably do that spiritual to get free energy? And that that's the bit. So you're make you're linking those two things. And that's the hard bit for, for people like me, because it's the first time I'm hearing this, you know, so you, you're not going to get you can't get someone on the first time. I think it takes it takes time for people to hear a new concept and to, to go with it. We mm. I, my my suggestion is never outsource your power and just listen to what somebody said, even if it sounds crazy or doesn't sound crazy. Just connect the dots on your own. And the way that I usually go about that is always look for the motive. If you could find the motive, you'll probably understand or have a good idea of the, the like what's really going on here. And there, there's so much when you follow the money, you see who has to lose, you see who has to gain. And then you understand intentions. You know, people could say what they want, but actions speak louder than words. And actions have spoken very loud over the past couple of years, over the past couple of years and over the past few centuries. I got a couple of comments here. Anthony Gilmer says that I dismissed that the Egyptians had electricity and I haven't researched it. I don't think I dismissed it. I was just showing my what. I need to hear that more times. To but I didn't dismiss it, Jason, did I? No, I don't think you dismissed it at all. Again, it's a new concept. So yeah. I, I don't expect you just to say, yeah, you know, look into it. You'll, you'll see a lot of awesome research and then you, you just come down to your own conclusion. <laughs> Yeah, Die Fund 28 writes, haven't needed oil for cars for decades already. That's yeah. a good point. And there are people that have figured out hydrogen-powered engines, water-powered engines, but they, they, they always go missing. They, they're Easy. always going one way this or another. guy is amazing. That's Thank good, you. isn't it? Appreciate yeah. it. I think he was talking about me. <laughs> it wasn't so what what are there more amazing things you could tell us about history that that we've that we don't know about that we've gotten wrong what other kinds of things do you talk about was it mostly egyptians and yeah yeah the, the, the main thing that i would bring up and and i understand that some people also over here may be being introduced to this for the first time and i i really just want to say 
our documented history only goes back 5,000 years, at least what we think is documented, okay? And we're finding bones for millions of years, humans. Just today, something came out of 3 million years old, according to carbon dating or whatever. And whether you believe that or not, we know for a fact with science and proof and evidence that we've been around much longer than 5,000 years in terms of going back to civilizations and seeing structures that were built and things mm. like that. So yeah. we always got to ask ourselves, taking into consideration with all the corruption that we're seeing in the world today, ask yourself, is the history, who's writing the history books? You'll see that it all funnels down to pretty much the same people that run every other industry. Just like the mainstream media is run by five companies and five families, but you have this illusion of many, 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 many different channels. And that's not actually what's going on here. So those same people, they've written, they've started schools, they've started universities, they started this whole thing. And in many cases, they're the ones behind the writing of textbooks. So just because something says something in a textbook doesn't mean that that's exactly what happened. And I would just really encourage and invite you all to think beyond the limitations that have been placed upon us. A very interesting place to start with that is Atlantis. We've, we've heard about Atlantis as a myth. Go deeper into that and see what you find, because you will see a civilization that existed a long time ago. And the more you research that, you're going to see that a lot of the common themes of a conclusion that were come down to when it comes to the lost city of Atlantis, which existed, is the fact that their technological development surpassed their spiritual development and they wipe themselves out. And that's very, very, I mean, that's what's happening today. We're doing things without understanding what we're actually doing. And we're hurting ourselves. And we're sicker than we've ever been. We say we're on the leading edge of technology. No, we're not. We say we're on the leading edge of medicine. Then why does 39% of Americans have or had cancer? More than it was 50 years ago. Why? Maybe because we're not on the leading edge of medicine. Maybe because we're not on the leading edge of technology. Because 100 years ago, cancer didn't exist in the same way that it does today. Neither did diabetes. It's more prevalent today. Of course it's more prevalent. But at the same time, they're just telling us we're smarter than we've ever been. Well, if we but weren't, that, than we've ever is been. Just those specific cases with like cancer and diabetes, is that not because we're enabling humans to live much longer than they used to? So rather than die in well, if, like, you, if you want to... Yeah, that, that's the difference between lifespan and life expectancy. What you just said is not true. I, I actually read a lot because I said the same thing. So I went down that rabbit hole because somebody challenged me. Lifespan did not increase. Life expectancy increased, meaning that's true. You're right. There babies. were more people dying 100 years ago at age 30. So the average life seemed to be less. But ask yourself why they were dying. They were dying because of poor sanitation. They were dying because when they had to get their leg amputated from a bacterial infection, they, they were in a very big problem and they didn't have the things that we have today to deal with that. They weren't dying from cancer, diabetes, and everything that you're seeing today. Heart attacks, if you go 300, 200 years ago in medical literature, it was very uncommon. It was very, very uncommon in medical yeah, well, literature. And they knew what it was. It just didn't happen. Fair enough, no, fair enough. Hey, tell me about about the shift that you're going to be hosting. That's a that's a big thing. Yeah. So one of one of the big uh, uh, things that I do on a platform that I built called Unified TV, it, all about bringing the world together, is uh, an event called the Shift. It's a free live stream 
in this case, we take the, the White House calls them the disinformation dozen. Somehow they've identified 12 individuals who are responsible for 65% of medical disinformation and they're ruining the world, according to the White House. So I happen to be close with those 12 people. And I asked them all, hey, guys, let's do a series and let's bring this to the world. And let's give you the chance to speak about how you're actually informed instead of disinformed. So we called them the informed dozen. It's a free live stream on July 9th and 10th. We're expecting over 100,000 people live, which is going to be unbelievable. And that's all at unified.tv forward slash the shift. And uh, again, it's free. So I ask you all to share it. You know, the, the silencing is real today. These 12 individuals can tell you, I mean, from, from firsthand experience. And we just do uh, our best to, to inform the misinformed and to inform the masses of what they might not be aware of to begin with because of certain mainstream narratives. And where can people, have you got Twitter or any of those kinds of things you want people to go to? Uh, yeah, I'm on, I mean, just my name, Jason Shurka. You'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on YouTube. Uh, you'll find me on Facebook, but I can't post any there anymore over there because they've deplatformed me a few times as well. Um, oh, no. It is what it is. That's why I created the, the unified platform. So the unified platform is where it all happens. It's an incredible community. Millions of people from all around the world visit that place all the time and it's just really great things that are coming up over there so that that would be the best place to really stay in the loop about what's going on perfect jason you've opened my mind to new possibilities you've been fantastic thank you so much for coming on thank you so much appreciate it andrew have a nice day well that was interesting wasn't it from jason things i never thought about um because i don't and you know, I like I do a bit of research before before each guest, but I I try not to do too much. And that sounds like I'm shirking responsibility, and I'm sure I could get accused of that by Ash. But uh, it's actually because I want to learn things when the viewers do, because otherwise it sounds a bit phony when I'm going what? Because my mind's been blown by something, but I already knew it because I researched it. But really interesting from Jason. We're going to get Greg Lawson in a minute, but Greg I can see is in the green room, and his camera doesn't seem to be on. So I'm just going to wait a minute or so if if it doesn't seem to change I'll, I'll just bring you on anyway um but but you know let me know on that greg uh, otherwise let me know if there are any questions in the question thing you know where you are all the comments and stuff even talking about jason that was really really interesting uh that numerology stuff uh, i always forget the name of it every time i told you my friend um has been betting wrongly on on because he because he thinks there's a big conspiracy to do with hebrew numbers and stuff but he, he hasn't cracked the code yet to you know win all his bets but maybe one day he will um and it looks like we've got greg lawson coming on now greg how you doing i am doing very well thank you very much oh i love the guitars look at that are you uh, <laughs> big into your music uh i am I uh, my I grew up in a uh, um, a family with nothing but a bunch of artists, and uh, I ended up taking a different path. But uh, I'll always have things uh, in the background. Oh, you can't see my. I've got a little keyboard over there, but it's too wide uh, for you to see it. Unfortunately, otherwise we'd have a jam now. <laughs> that sounds good. We could do that. Are you, are you aware of something called nominative determinism? I think it is. I have never heard of that. I don't think. If I did, uh, I. Um, woke up uh and sober <laughs> <laughs> it's the theory that 
people's names influence the jobs that they do and obviously okay. you become a yeah. law in, in law enforcement and that's your name but it, it, it's probably a, a weak theory isn't it that's a shame that's what it is <laughs> the uh yeah i, I had a uh, uh, quite a few uh, uh people in in law enforcement uh in my family uh reaching back uh they're either uh you know in in texas and in uh, in america in the 1800s uh you know the guys that were law enforcement people were either uh you know law enforcement people or uh, prisoners so either way law was a central tenet right right yeah the um, uh, I think, I think a, a lot of them were uh, criminals to begin with and they just kind of, uh, the town elected them as sheriff or whatever, just because, um, they figured that that's one that way that they could control them and, uh, they could kind of use their, uh, influence for good instead of other. Wow. That's an age old story, isn't it? The thin blue line, <laughs> the difference between, yeah. you know, good and evil. And it's such a thin a thin line. I do wonder about the names. I mean, I should have gone into jewellery, I suppose, or something like that with a name like Gold. I wonder yeah. if you hear it your whole life. Law, son. Law, son. You better go into either be a lawyer or a police officer or something like that. But you, you've gotten into the quagmire or quagmire of Roswell. How did you get going on that? What got you into Roswell? Yeah, I. so when I was a little kid, I lived next door to a uh, an F-4 pilot, a jet pilot uh, for the Air Force out of Berkstrom Air Force Base just in Austin. And I was like five years old or something. But I would see him come home all the time and in his uniform and things. And, and a couple of times we had some interesting conversations because I actually asked him about flying saucers. And uh, because we used to see um, flying saucers all the time, what we thought were flying saucers, and they were actually the weather balloons from Bergstrom Air Force Base. And they would throw several of those in the air a day uh, in order to keep up with things because they didn't have satellites back then. So they needed to monitor the weather. And uh, so that's what they did. And, and so, you know, I had that conversation with him then. Uh, and just throughout the years, I kind of grew up in the paranormal. My brother used to take me to graveyards. He was 17. I was five at the time. And so he would take me out to graveyards and scare the crap out of me. <laughs> and uh, um, and so I did that to my friends. And then once I went into the military, I always went and uh, explored wherever I was deployed. Um, I would go to explore the strange and weird places uh, wherever I was. Uh, and yeah, so, um, that, that just kind of led me along and I've been to Roswell a couple of times and I got very interested in it and then started going there for research. And that's, uh, bear, that's pretty much bear where with we me. My, my camera's no, no problem. Can't have gone off, but do, it, it should come back on in a second. So, and, and were you looking into these, I'm, I'm back on it, into these, um, these kinds of things with a skeptical mind? Was it like, oh, it's just silly fun to scare a family member or a friend or, or was it like, hey, maybe there's something to this stuff? Well, I was raised Catholic, so I was indoctrinated to believe these things. Uh, I am a recovering Catholic now, for those of you who are still concerned. Um, so I, uh, I, I have a broad um, perspective on uh, uh, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, uh, metaphysical beliefs, those sorts of things. And so I just kind of branched out and, and started paying attention to other things uh, along with that. So um, as a, a, a 30 plus year criminal investigator uh, who's been paid to work cases, um, you have to be a skeptic. 
in whatever you're going into. And I always give the example of you have the folks on one side that they don't require any real physical evidence in front of them or, um, you know, specific testimony, circumstantial for them to believe. They're just a true believer. They hear something and it's like, okay, that's, that's the way it is. And then you have the cynic uh, that just rolls their eyes. As soon as you say religion, ghosts, spirits, whatever, they just roll their eyes. So the skeptic floats around in between those two based on the evidence that they have. So skepticism is a very, very good thing. Uh, and uh, it's funny because a, a lot of the people in the paranormal get the word skeptic confused with cynic and confused with debunker. However, uh, I've been accused of being a debunker many, many times. Uh, but if it's not paranormal, it's not, you know? So Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of when I when I went to um, uh, interview an exorcist. I did that for a documentary, and I went and sort of did an exorcism with him. And I tried not to be cynical. I was just skeptical, like you say. Uh, and I found that exorcism actually worked to help these people to feel better. But I think after years of thinking about it, that it was more down to suggestion and placebo and stuff like that. But it was still interesting. And I think if I'd gone in there being totally cynical, I might have missed that, the fact that they actually get better at least for a few months or something. There's an initial feeling of, of you know, if they feel better. So I think I think you're right. It's good to go in there going, hey, let's see what happens, you know? Sure. D depending on their belief system and how much they believe. I mean, you know, the, there's only one thing that separates the difference between a cult in a formalized religion. And that's the amount of believers. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you're, you're a cult if you're waiting for the spaceship to come get you and you're all, you know, uh, out uh, buying Nike tennis shoes and, you know, stuff. Uh, and you're okay if you go to church every uh, Sunday and believe that the bread is transubstantiated mm -hmm. into the body of Christ and the blood into his blood. And it's a real thing. That's okay. Yeah. If you well, have depends, a billion where you are. That depends where you are, Greg, because I think less and less that's, I think people now do see that as a little bit of a cult now, especially maybe in Europe, in Northern Europe. I think a lot of people, there's a lot of atheism or, or at least agnosticism nowadays. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've had those conversations with, with folks and like, oh, no, 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 that's symbolic. Not if you're Roman Catholic, it's not. If you're, if you, you if you, if you say you're Roman Catholic and you say it's symbolic, then you're Lutheran, you're, you're <laughs> something else. You're not Roman Catholic. That's one of the tenets, the mystery of the Eucharist. So Bloody yeah. hell. It, it is <laughs> yeah. mad Catholicism. All of them are, they're all mad, but then how do we get from, okay, you're in law enforcement. You're a, you're a uh, skeptic, not a cynic, but not a uh, true truther or what a true believer. And then Roswell, what, what got you going through that? So, um, you know, I mean, it's a fascinating thing for, for the government to come out and actually announce we have a flying disc. Uh, at that time, you, you have to look at this. In my, in my book, Roswell, the After Action Report reflects on this. You have to look at the time that the investigation was done. So many uh, uh, hobbyist uh, investigators, citizen investigators that got in, involved in this look at it from a contemporary standpoint, what we know today, how we know investigations are today, uh, how evidence is collected, that sort of thing. And they look back on it in that manner. Well, at that time, uh, the, the idea of flying discs really didn't have a good definition, 
We didn't know what it was. Uh, and so when they come forward and do a press release that I have recovered a flying disc in the Roswell region, that implies that we've, uh, you know, discovered a spaceship because flying saucers uh, um, were coined in that. Uh, and it also implies that it, it was intact and recovered, not debris uh, or not something else. And it's interesting when you look at the press release that the Air Force sent over to the Roswell Daily Record, they changed that. They turned it into a flying saucer. So um, there was a little disconnect there because mm -hmm. flying saucers sounds cooler than, you know, recovered a disc. So, um, you know, there, there was some of that. Uh, yeah, also. disc connect. That was <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so they change it. We'll get back onto that train of thought. But I just I want to interrupt with a question from Jenny in the chat saying, "Did you ever go to Area Fifty One?" I have been to Area Fifty One multiple times. I haven't actually gone on property. Uh, I've been around that area. Um, you know, you uh, <laughs> you're hard pressed to actually get on the yeah. the property itself I, I i spent four years in the navy i was a uh, um, operation specialist on board nimitz which is an aircraft carrier and i did air detection and tracking so i'm trained in a, in a specific way to look at uh, aerial uh, contacts and aerial phenomena and so um, that that's a lot of uh, what's what's happening over at Area 51 when they're when they're practicing uh, flying certain things and and doing new technologies and stuff. There's other people that are out there watching, and uh, things get confusing pretty quick. Hmm. Yeah, you have to stand like a bit away from it. I've seen. I saw Louis Theroux. Docu He's an English documentary maker. I saw him, and he was trying to get closer, and they sort of suddenly stop you getting any nearer. It's a little bit like getting towards Scientology or something. They they're like, "What are you doing here? You know, what are yeah. they hiding there?" <laughs> right. Yeah. What What is being? Well, what is? So they disc changed, right? So then, yeah. Yeah. Go no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what's what's next in the uh, what you're thinking. Well, well, so um, they, they put this out and I, I want you, I, I want you to think, let's say you work at the White House or the Pentagon mm -hmm. and you have a base commander, Colonel Blanchard, who releases that he's found a flying saucer. <laughs> what are you going to do to that guy? <laughs> well, you know, this, this went crazy. It went, yeah. you know, out of the AP and, 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 and got spread very quickly. Uh, and obviously then his, he was contacted by, you know, the, down the chain of command, general Ramey over in, uh, in Texas contacts him and says, yeah, fly that stuff over here. I'm going to take a look at it. So this seems, they put it in a, this, in a I was just going to say, there seems to be a, uh, unfortunately because these words get taken into the culture and then they get used in like cartoons and stuff, stuff like flying saucer. I'm sure at the beginning that might've sounded quite serious and interesting. And then because, and then they have to change the name. So I know it's been changed from UFO, for example, because it's too much associated with like silliness and cartoons and mm -hmm. things. And now it's UAP. So it sounds right. a bit more governmental until you get movies where they're all going, Oh no, it's a UAP. And then they have to change it to something else. Exactly. So flying saucer. People, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm sure that sounded quite reasonable, but now it sounds mad, flying saucer. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, and of course the the air force practice with all those things they they tried to create all kinds of disc type aircraft and you can go online and look at that stuff uh, and a lot of that stuff was uh, was designed and created there at skunk works at area 51 uh, and they're you know trying out that stuff but in this particular thing i'm sorry if i was in charge of um something that important in charge of a base, the only base that has nuclear weapons uh, in, in the United States at that point. Hmm. And my Colonel released a, uh, uh, you know, a story that we collected a flying saucer up. I'm probably going to reassign that dude to uh South, I don't know, uh, you know, s- s- Antarctica or, or, yeah. or someplace <laughs> he's going to Alaska to, to, I don't know supervise an ammo dump or something. I'm not putting him in charge of anything. Well, that's the crazy part. When you look at that guy's career after that, he was promoted really fast and ended up uh, four steps away from being in, being the president. You know, he's, he was in what? the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah, he got promoted to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He died in his 50s at the Pentagon of a massive heart attack. Uh, but he name? was- do you know? Uh, Colonel William Blanchard. Blanchard. Wow, I'm just looking out. I'm just having him there for later to read Bill about Blanchard. him. Yeah, amazing. So, right. um, so, so, so he was on to something. He wasn't a kook. No, no, he. Uh, and, and so, when you look at that, you go, okay. Um, it seems to me that he had some sort of plan, and this mm. plan was either orchestrated above him or. Once he initiated it, then he explained his plan and it sounded really good because it's a great, great, great uh, deflection of what we were actually doing out there uh, at an Almogordo. And, uh, um, you know, when we're listening, we're, we're, we're developing technologies to listen to the Soviets. We're in New Mexico. We're developing technologies to listen to the Soviets on whether or not they're detonating atomic weapons. So that was a, you know, mm. uh, the, the Mogul Balloon Project was a secret project at that point. Uh, and it remained a secret project up until the 1993, 94, when the Air Force went back in to investigate itself. That's another question. <laughs> okay, you're in charge of um, uh, conducting an investigation. And like you're a, let's say a, a, a congressman and you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to have a, do an investigation on the air force. So air force people, I want you to investigate yourself. It makes no sense, right? How come there's not a third independent person that is overseeing this? Nope. 1993, 94. Hey, go investigate yourself. And those guys, uh, just amazing. I, I use contemporary means in my book. Uh, to look at using forensic statement analysis to look at what the Air Force came out and said and how they conducted their investigation. Um, and it was either one of two things. Remember, I got the cynic and I got the true believer, right? So yeah. the Air Force did one of two things. They're either completely, utterly incompetent or they're still running a scam on us. And in the forensic statement analysis, I can go, I could pick that thing apart and say, they're lying here, they're lying here, they're lying here, because I can explain the way people's language changes, the way that they inflect their language, the way that they use their, their facial expressions and all that. Um, it is absolutely maddening to watch those guys. You can go on YouTube and look up uh, 
1994 uh, uh, Roswell report, Air Force Roswell report. Uh, and look at some of the interviews of these guys that conducted the investigations uh, and the gratification smiles after they tell you their lie. So gratification smile comes right after somebody tells you some big concocted story. And as they're telling you the story, they're thinking about how plausible it sounds and how well they're delivering it. And when they get to the end, they can't help but smile. And hmm. it, you could be you could be talking to somebody about a murder and they disassemble the body and poured gasoline on it, lit them up on fire. And you're getting this statement on how this person didn't do any of that. And at the end, yeah. they smile at you. There is absolutely no freaking reason to smile when we're talking about disassembling somebody's body. And that doesn't have anything to do with the Roswell case, but as an example of that gratification smile that they get at the end, it is there oh. and it's almost impossible for sociopaths and people that are lying to not do it. I suppose that's a tell that people could use for poker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I got away with this little smile, and then you go that guy. Yeah. So yeah. tell me, let's get to the let's get to the nitty gritty of this. Then, what is being covered up, in your opinion, or or do we not know? Well, that's the crazy part of it, right? Um, there's only one or two things that. that um, so whenever anything is declassified in the military, there's sets of years that have to go by for certain levels of declassification. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I have a top secret clearance. I should be able to see what's going on. No, you might have a top secret clearance and this case might be top secret, but you don't have a need to know to look at it. You have no authority at all to look at it. Uh, and it, that's the same thing with the president of the United States. He does not have a need to know what's going on at Area 51 or any of these other research facilities. He has no need to know of that. Uh, he's completely disconnected from that, which is really kind of weird when we talk about the government, but that's kind of how, how it works. Um, so at this point, there can only be a couple of things that would still be classified after 70 years. The Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So if it truly was the mogul balloon theory, well, we're done. But if you look at the way that the Air Force did their investigation and did their statements and used their questioning, they, they themselves say there was only one crash site. And then talking to another witness, there had to have been more than one crash site. Talking to another witness, there was probably up to four crash sites. And then back to another witness, there was only one crash site. So they're very, very inconsistent about that. And it would make sense if this thing is a you know 700 feet long, if it's a string of, of um, some sort of ropes or cables and it's got uh, equipment hanging off of it and a whole bunch of balloons, hmm. it would make sense if it crashed out in the desert, it would string along you know a, a good distance. Uh, if it was out there, if it was made out of some sort of cord, uh, something that could break, it could break off into two pieces, pieces of it could come off, the winds out there could drag it around. There were some uh, um, thunderstorms previous to all this and during all this. So it makes sense that if it was up there during a thunderstorm and it got thrashed around, you know, you get up in the jet stream and uh, you have very, very, very high winds, it could get all torn up. So it would make sense that there's mul multiple. But once again, like I said, the inconsistency. So your question, yes. <laughs> why in the world would they be doing it? Well, it was either a flying saucer <laughs> 
or it was something else that to this day still has to be hidden. And it makes absolutely no sense. So that is the thing I got out of 13 years of investigating this. And, and for what it's worth, um, I went out to Roswell a whole bunch of times. I talked to a lot of people. Uh, I went to all the co conferences and all that stuff. 98% uh, of the people I talked to were inconsequential. I'm not even, I don't, they're not even in my book. Um, mm. A lot of these other investigators list every witness that they call a witness. Every person that they talk to all of a sudden becomes a witness and they list what this person tells them. And it could have been, well, I was four years old and we were walking down the street and I remember this army truck going by with a tarp over it. And it looked like it had a shape of a, of a flying saucer on it. You know, and they use that as an as testimonial evidence. Um, I don't do that. So I look back at how the investigation was ran at the time, who was part of that investigation at the time, and why did the uh, did the Air Force, when they reinvestigated it, not go use testimony from people like, um, well, what ended up being General Debose, who was a colonel uh, at the time with uh, with Ramey. He was Ramey's chief of staff, um, actually testified. Uh, and, and you can go on, on, on YouTube and look at that general Ramey, uh, Roswell, uh, uh, deathbed confession and, uh, and go look at that and listen to that man. That man is hmm. absolutely, um, telling the truth. The problem is he never really tells what it was. He, ah. but he does tell it was all a cover up, and okay. it was, it was super important. Well, this being a, a fun and entertaining show, let's speculate. Why All not? Right. You've got to speculate to accumulate or whatever that means. Sean would know better because he was a stockbroker. But uh, what do you reckon? What do you hope it might be? All right. So um, it, it could have been some other technology that we were developing. I what, I what do I hope it was? I hope it was a flying saucer. I hope they have it over at Area 51 or at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and they took it apart, and that's where we get all of our, uh, you know, Velcro and and uh, transistors. <laughs> and I, that's what I'm hoping. You know, I got my fingers that. crossed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you, when you look at uh, exploration, um, you really have to be very, very skeptical of why our – uh, if there are aliens and, and they're coming to earth, why are they coming here? Because everywhere where explorers went, we didn't just go over there and, uh, and try to help the people out that were there. We went over there to take over their resources, uh, take control over them and put them to work for us. That's what, mm. uh, humanity does. So I can only assume, uh, if, you know, the Elon Musk of, uh, uh, you know, Sagittarius Prime <laughs> is is building a spaceship to come to Earth. He's coming here to make some money. So, um, <laughs> you know, you would think and so, so it, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, um, I, I know this. This is a thing I absolutely know. The Air Force, and I was so a lot of people uh, ask me about this, and uh, and you have to trust me on this one. Okay, you can do what I'm about to say. I served in the United States Army as a paratrooper, United States Navy as an operations specialist, and the United States Air Force as a combat arms training and maintenance instructor. So I have a, a very wide breadth of understanding of how all of these kind of cogs fit together. And 
I have a huge amount of respect for the Air Force. The Air Force is lying to us about this. Um, there is no doubt in my mind the way that they eliminated certain witnesses that were actually there, and they never mm. they never referred to General DeBose or Colonel DeBose at the time one time in their report. This guy was an integral part of the whole machine. They never referred to him one time at all. And so that is by design. They did this by design to cover things up. Uh, and so whether it is alien technology or whether it's our technology, for whatever reason, they're continuing to do it today. And at this point, wow. even if they came forward and, and told us everything, I don't know whether we would believe them or not. We would always think no. that there was more because <laughs> every time they give us a little more, a little more, a little more. It's, it's maddening. It would be a great day, though, wouldn't it, to wake up and see in the papers like it's all out in the open now and it was aliens just because we all need to believe in something. And even if it's not going to heaven or whatever that might be, what a what an amazing day that would be like, oh, there are aliens and they're weird looking and they've got all this super technology. I would love that. I was asked I was asked this before by Bex actually in the chat and I thought it might have been meant for the person before because it was about energy and stuff. But I, I realize it's now for you. J-Dub was also put, can you ask him about CERN? What do you know about CERN? Do you know much about CERN? No, I don't. Um, so a lot of people, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with it, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I've never really delved off into it at all. I, people have, uh, um, uh, have, have touted me as a UFO expert. I am not, I am a Roswell expert. Uh, and I am a Roswell expert because Don Schmidt, Tom Carey, um, uh, Kevin Randall, Stanton Freeman, and all these other amazing people that, that dedicated 40 plus years of their life to investigate this, I'm standing on their shoulders or on their, or I'm clutching on their back based on the investigations that they did uh, to uncover so much good stuff and a whole bunch of other nutty people that wanted to be a part of something. Uh, you know, all you got to do is walk into a Roswell cafe and say, Hey, my name's Greg Lawson. I'm writing a book about Roswell. Anybody have, anybody have any information on that? <laughs> You know, <laughs> and you'll have half the people go, hey, you know, I want to be in this book. Um, yeah, I can understand so, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hey, tell me, where can people follow you and find you and do all that stalking stuff? So, you can find me at uh, theparanormaldetective.com is probably the best one. Uh, uh, Greg H. Lawson, I think I'm on Instagram, I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm actually going to be in the UK, I'm going to be in Coventry. Um, in the next couple of that. weeks, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll be staying at Coombe <laughs> Abbey. Does that matter? I don't know. It's probably lovely there. Whatever you said, I would have said, I'm oh, sorry to hear that. It's, it's like wonderful. the standard, yeah. it, the standard yeah, joke that one might <laughs> Sage Paracon is going on uh, over there in Coombe Abbey on, I think, the 14th uh, through oh. the weekend. And uh, it's going to be great. There, there's going to be a, a whole lot of people, uh, a whole lot of speakers there. Oh, that'd be great. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been a wonder. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from both my people today. Really, really great. Thanks, Greg, and have a lovely day. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Right. I don't know if Mr. Mr. Atty Boy, Mr. Atto, is coming in. Put a one in the chat if you want us to track Greg down in Coventry and try and get him into the studio and do a full two-hour interview with him. 
Put a two in the chat if you don't want to see Greg in the studio. But I, I know where this is going to go. Because <laughs> he's fascinating, isn't he? There's a lot there, but yeah. there's so much more that we could delve into. Looks like oh, it's yeah. a ton of wands. So we'll have, we'll have Ash get in touch with Greg. We do have a cameraman in the Midlands that we can get to him quite, quite, quite quickly. Um, and we have a location in the Midlands we can film at as well now. So... All ones, all ones. Yep, we Look have to that. hit Greg up. People want see more. if he can spare a time in between his Guinness pints of Guinness and his fish, fish and chips. <laughs> he's giving us, <laughs> he's giving us the thumb. He's giving us the thumb. So we'll, we'll we'll try and coordinate that after this show. Or a huge thank you to Greg. Anyway, now we've got one minute left. We're going over to Patreon at eight ten. Slight little break. And if you do join us on Patreon, link is in the description box below this video. First guest on Patreon is Kathy O'Brien. She's been one of the most uh, requested guests ever. Former US government employee and whistleblower, 30-year veteran. And she's going to get into the deep state, the New World Order, MK Ultra, mind control programs, human transport, the sentencing of M yesterday to 30 years, as well as how she managed to heal from trauma. Yeah. We've got Andrew Collins. Yeah. With Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, all the Andrews, and he, he, all kicking off. He's a science science and history writer, author of a, over a dozen books that challenge the way we perceive the past. So he's going to get into The Black Alchemist, God's of Eden, Gateway to Atlantis, Tutankhamun, The Exodus Conspiracy, Genesis of the Giants of Ancient America, and finally, his book, The Origins of the Gods. <laughs> wow, there's a, lot, there's a lot to unpack there, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've got Adi Ads coming back to talk about the sentence of M to, to 20 years yesterday. And he's going to be bringing uh, YouTuber Roberta Glass. And Addy Ads was at the courthouse through the M trial. So he was he had his finger right on the pulse of what was going on there. And he has had some backlash as well. All kinds of interesting stories. So we will see you either on Patreon or next week at Atwood Unleashed. We do have a podcast coming out tomorrow night at 6pm. A man out of Camden who ended up in prison in New York. And then next week, it is, um, we've got the Michael Francis show in, in London on Saturday at the weekend. And then we've got Sunday night and Monday night. We've got more podcasts coming out, uh, including the un, uh, top level one undercover cop who had to disguise his voice and disguise his face. People said, you'll never get a real undercover cop on there because they won't put the faces out there. Well, we've got one. And he's going to be talking about Dale Cregan, the IRA, Manchester Gangs, Moss Side, and Paul Massey. So yeah, it's going to be massive. And then we've got Ricky Colleen as well. Um, but we're going to sign off right now. So I hope to see some of you guys in the chat there. Thank you for everyone for, for posting your questions this evening. It really did help the flow of Atwood Unleashed tonight all your questions. I mean, the first guest, she was delighted that the questions were of such a variety and I could see some of the questions as well with the second guest. He was starting to smile at the end of it when your questions were coming in. So yeah, thanks everyone for your input. You've built such a great community here and huge thank you most of all to Andrew Gold who's itching yeah. to put a clip up of Buffalo Bill right now. Well, I, 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 I'm trying to... Where is it? Mm. I, I... Thank you to Ash as well, and, and I'll put this one for Verity. Put the fucking lotion in the basket! Put the lotion in the basket. She rubs it on her skin and puts it in the basket. 
In another life, you're an actor, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, ma'am, when your little girl's on the slab. Oh, that's so good. That's actually so good. Yeah. Makes your nipples hard, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. I mean, I don't think he would have conjugated wrong like that. He wouldn't have said, <laughs> makes your... Made, well, I don't know. Maybe that was right. It made your nipples hard, didn't it, ma'am? That was what that was what sounds wrong about it. Yeah, it was that you did a past and present. It makes your nipples hard, didn't it? That's what I'd say to Hannibal Lecter in that moment. Hang on a minute, you've mixed up your past and your present, mate. Get out! Hannibal there, Lecter would never con- uh, <laughs> mix his tenses and his verbs, would he? No, 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 no. It's, Not even while eating people. His metaphors and his similes are always spot on. As he's having. Fava beans and a little Chianti. <laughs> we realised this morning that Sean's fava beans were actually fava beans. It's not a, it's a F-A-V-A. Because I, I typed in fava beans up wondering what they were. Ashes, WTF us. Oh yeah, the other big one that's coming out. Michael Thompson, Aryan Brotherhood leader. Aryan Brotherhood leader um, who served 45 years in California prison was shot 22 times in different situations. It is... Mental. It's one of the most craziest stories. John Abbott has urged us to get him on. We, we had him on part one last night. And uh, yeah, so Ash is saying we've got quite a lot of likes tonight on the video. If you are out there and you are able to like, it helps us with the algorithm. Thank you for liking and sharing. All right. Cheers for that. Thanks, everybody. We will see some of you in Patreon momentarily. Thanks, Ash and Andrew again. Ta-ra. Hey, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Patreon. We've got Kathy O'Brien, one of our most requested guests ever, about to come in. So you're in for a treat. We're going to be getting deep into some subjects of great interest on this channel for years. Let's bring her in right now. Here we go. And um, yeah, finally. It's going to be great to have Kathy on the screen. New World Order is one of the subjects. MK Ultra. The, the sentencing yesterday of Maxwell to 20 years. And human transport. CIA mind control programs. Hello, Kathy. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Wonderful. I really appreciate this opportunity to bring truth to light with you. Oh, well, I love your background as well. The energy is is fantastic on your screen. Oh, nature is so grounding. It's something everybody needs to gravitate back to these days and breathe in the air and enjoy. Okay, so for the viewers who are not familiar with your story, Kathy, do you want to just tell them a little bit about you by way of introduction? Well, my name is Kathy O'Brien, and I am a CIA MKUltra mind control survivor. And I was used on a White House Pentagon level during the 1980s primarily, where I was among deep state perpetrators as they were um, planning exactly really what we're experiencing today, this new world order, one world government that's a global reset, you know, and they were planning that then. I was in there under their torturous MK Ultra mind control, totally robotic, 
carrying out criminal activities that is their funding mechanism. So um, it was quite, quite an experience. It gave me a lot of insight and understanding into what's going on today and what we can all do to be able to uh, maintain our freedom and our free thought through these tough times. All right, let's go over this slow, more slowly then, because it's such a fascinating story and we've got limited time. So could you tell, how old were you when they put you in this program? How, how did they apprehend you? And what, what was it like the first day going into it? Well, I was born into a multi-generational incest-based family, and that made me a target for the CIA's MKUltra Mind Control program that was already in place at that time. It came over with when the Nazi and fascist scientists were imported into the United States through Project Paperclip. And with them came the information on mind control. And the Hitler-Himmler research had found that children who were sexually abused, especially prior to age five, would be suffering from a dissociative disorder, which was ideal for MKUltra mind control. So mind control is like a sliding scale, and anyone who has been abused, especially prior to age five, will be suggestible and subject to some level of mind control. For me, it was very structured. My father was caught sending child pornography of me through the U.S. mails and was given immunity from prosecution by a local politician that was tending my grandfather's Blue Masonic Lodge. This politician was just a local politician at the time. His name is Gerald Ford. He went on to become the unelected president of the United States. That's how my victimization rose proportionately to his political career until I was used on a White House Pentagon level. But ultimately, I was targeted because I was sexually abused as a child. And we all need to realize that the pedophile agenda that is going on right now is a mind control agenda and that's the ultimate purpose of it and um, uh, what happens when a child is sexually abused is they do become gender confused they become um, with a they, they get a heightened sexuality which is why um, I was used to compromise politicians and drug lords in later years for this criminal um, global cabal that is hell-bent on dominating the minds of the masses worldwide right now. And would you say, you know, the news reported yesterday about Maxwell getting a 20-year sentence and the mainstream media has reported this as like an isolated case, would you say that it is part of an intelligence agency honey trap operation that has tentacles all over the world and is still in existence and that you have inside information about? Absolutely. And it's outrageous that the perpetrators that abuse the, the children on Epstein Island have never been brought to light. It's never been revealed. It's never been exposed. And it was my experience in MK Ultra Mind Control that my daughter and I both were used to compromise certain politicians and drug lords. And the human trafficking operations are the funding mechanism of this global reset. It's the primary funding mechanism along with um, drug operations across 
uh, open borders. And I was used throughout the Caribbean, um, around the Epstein Island area, in Haiti and St. Thomas, where the U.S. State Department was actually involved in setting up these particular operations because, um, again, you know, the, the human trafficking operations have been going on my whole life. I'm just glad people are finally seeing it. It looks horrifying to people as they wake up to the reality of it. But we need to understand this has been going on a long, long time. And now that it's come to light, it's our chance to make a positive difference. Awareness is the first step towards positive necessary change. So if there's a positive that comes from the horrendous negative of the whole Epstein um, sham, scam, cover-up, case, it is that human trafficking is very pervasive and child sex trafficking is number one for compromising and blackmailing certain government leaders. Well said. And we just got news come in that uh, R. Kelly has just been sentenced to 30 years for his heinous activity with minors, I believe. Um, so that is some good news that's just come in. Okay, Kathy, can we go back then to you said you were indoctrinated, groomed by your own family. Could we go back to how you entered MK Ultra? I mean, like, like the, could you describe perhaps the first day? Well, my father, once he um, was granted immunity from prosecution, he was flown to Boston, Massachusetts, where he was trained in manipulation of the subconscious mind through neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. That's something we all need to understand. We need to understand that trauma is the basis of mind control. And while our conscious mind is being occupied by whatever traumatic news of the moment or whatever is going on, then our subconscious mind is wide open to being easily led. My father was trained how to manipulate my subconscious mind by cardinal law. Cardinal law, the Catholic Church of the infamous Catholic child abuse scandal, who is the head of that? Because the pedophilia that was going on within the Catholic Church was very deliberate and a part of CIA MK Ultra mind control. They had the same Hitler Himmler research into the effects of trauma on the human mind. And the uh, pedophilia that was going on within, within the Catholic Church was to create a more robotic society because they were determined to be the one world church in the new world order. So they've been very complicit since the days of uh, Nazi Germany and um, were very much a, a part of my victimization. In addition to being exposed to NLP at that time from that point forward, I was subjected to a lot of occult ritual because that is very traumatic blood traumas are are horrific and just the the whole concept is is wicked and these perpetrators are very um evil in their agenda and they can't possess the human spirit they can't stop the human spirit they fear the human spirit because that's where our strength is. That's where we have that infinite source of love and light and, and compassion and capacity to take a stand and all that. So they want to suppress that. And the only way they can do it is through mind control. So they couldn't possess my spirit, even with all the occultism, but they prevented my expression of it. My experience in MKUltra, as I lost my free thought, I lost free will, I lost soul expression, I lost that strength of spirit. So that's very, um, 
very devastating aspect of the whole experience until I became just totally robotic, doing exactly what I was tortured and programmed to do. And to get to that point, were you electrocuted? Were you sleep deprived? Could you give us a bit more information as to what they actually did? Yes, there is an exact formula for MK Ultra mind control, and it's one that we're seeing being imposed on society today because there are many aspects of it. Um, depersonalization occurs. When mind control masked as a virus was unleashed on the global population for ushering in this global reset, new world order, people began experiencing mind control not necessarily under that name. They might think of it as mass formation psychosis. They might think of it as brainwashing. Um, however they, they thought of it, they began losing free thought. And wearing a mask is the first thing towards depersonalization. And masks are used in MK Ultra mind control on the level that I was uh, used back throughout the, the 80s. So. Um, the masks depersonalize. They, you can't see somebody's individual facial expressions. And so it has a, a psychological effect on the human mind. Additionally, it um, makes us feel like we can't talk with each other. And then we were all stuck with a controlled media narrative. No matter where in the world we were, it was the same narrative about how to mask up and get the injection and the, the controls that were imposed on us at that time. Shelter at home, you know. So... Um, that's a, a big part of, of MKUltra right there. Plus, it inhibited oxygen to the brain necessary for critical analysis, free thought. So that's a very important thing to understand that those things that have been imposed are very deliberate. They're part of the structure, the scientific structure of MKUltra mind control. We've got the trauma. We've got the NLP mind manipulation of the subconscious where our, while our conscious minds are like frozen in fear from the repetitive narrative coming through the TV to traumatize us and keep us sheltering at home. That was um, very deliberate. Those are all components of mind control. You add sleep deprivation to it when people have to work so many jobs and when they're in a panic, they're not sleeping well. That raises suggestibility. And then food deprivation is another one. And we're, um, we're seeing where our food is being controlled more and more and more, especially here in the United States where um, so many of our food processing plants have been uh, burned down and you know it's just a horrendous time on that plus it was shown that if any school in the U.S. was not going to comply with the pedophile agenda of the um, transgender um, movement that was the gender confusion going on in the schools that school lunch programs were the first thing that were stopped they said okay well we're going to control that we're going to stop the, the school launches. Well, what does the federal government have to do with meddling in the minds of our children to begin with? And it's not up to them to determine whether or not our children eat. So it's an absolute outrage what's going on. But nevertheless, when you know the components of MK Ultra mind control, you start seeing how they're being systematically imposed on us all in order to bring in this new world order slave society agenda where a handful of guys make all, a handful of big guys make all the money and we do all the work. Financial control is definitely another aspect of um, MK Ultra mind control and it's one that the world 
is experiencing in this global reset too because once we're dependent on on the federal this handful of criminals for our money and for our food and for the air that we breathe they have a lot of control over us and we need to be aware once we're aware of it truth makes us free then we can make the choice to do what i've done all along don't comply <laughs> that's all it takes don't comply they lose all their power they're evil and they only have as much power um as we give them and it's up to each and every one of us to just say no no more well, protect the Kathy, children i um you're such a powerful speaker i'm absolutely blown away by this this knowledge your energy is just transmitting off the screen and the people in the chat are saying how amazing you are and uh, you know you'd, earlier on you did touch upon a blood ritual by some particularly evil people I, I, you know yes. i don't want you to relive these things uh too much but are, are you okay to, to give us an idea of what that entails absolutely i healed from within so um it, and it's within us all to heal we have that capacity within us and the healing methods that Intelligence Insider Mark Phillips taught me are posted on my website where everybody can have them now so that we can all maintain our free thought, free will, strength of spirit. Because this is an evil agenda. It's very dark. And the satanic aspect of it is designed to make especially a little child feel like it's the devil and it's way beyond our realm to affect and it if people feel like anything is beyond their realm to affect whether it be um aliens or demons or, or the devil or whatever then we feel less empowered when in fact we have all the power you know there those are lies that are, are coming at us that are very negative and negativity is immobilizing so we need to rise above that with our strength of spirit and realize that hey they can't possess our spirit so all they can do is just control our minds and stop our expression of it so we just reclaim our free thought and stop complying with their fearful tactics and their agenda of making us feel like we have no power we've got all the power we are by far the majority you know we just need to realize that we that they're lying to us and we don't need to let this low vibration dark energy force affect our brilliant minds any longer it's 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 their illusion there's only a few of them anyway it's just a handful of them they're like hiding behind the wizard's curtain pulling levers through the controlled media to make it look like they're bigger than they are and they're not they're just a handful we're the majority mm -hmm. all we need to do is reach out to each other with compassion with truth and it's over game over we already won we just need to claim our victory um, Kathy, we had a guest on. She was an FBI-trained uh, profiler of pedophiles and child killers. And she told us about adrenochrome. Have you ha heard about yes. adrenochrome and how that works? Absolutely. Um, I was exposed to the, the precursor to that, which is adrenalized blood of sat satanically ritually abused victims. It's why they do the blood drinking in the occult rituals. Is for, it, it's the adrenal chrome thing is the adrenaline that they're uh, that they actually feed off they feed off of negativity they feed off of fear they feed off of hate which is why they're trying to divide us and keep us all arguing you know they they feed off of negative energies like that but then they literally feed off the tortured um adrenalized 
blood. And that's how the occult kind of comes into it all. My primary MK Ultra mind control programmer was Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino, who's the founder of the occult temple is set proliferating on U.S. military bases and really on a global scale. He really had a far-reaching effect, but he rooted it all in Satanism, not because he believed in the power of the Satan. He believed in his own power to manipulate the minds of people with the occult um, traumatic aspect. But what, regardless of what they believe or don't believe, the fact is they feed off of negativity and they are feeding off of adrenalized blood and we need to protect our children. Our children are being targeted. They're being harvested and we've got to start protecting them. The human trafficking operations going on and the child sex trafficking is, um, is an extremely dark and nefarious agenda. It's hard to understand that we share the planet with such evil people but we do and they are within our realm to affect number one just don't comply with them anymore we need to start reaching out to each other and realize our own power and our own strength of spirit and um it's such a beautiful thing i celebrate mine every single day now that i'm free to live the love that i am and um to think free um i I celebrate it every day. Never take it for granted. It's 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 our ultimate power, and that power is infinite. So we've interviewed a lot of people on this channel about the Epstein Maxwell case, and two big names have come up over and over again: Prince Andrew and Bill Clinton. It seems though that these people are untouchable. What are your thoughts? Do you think that they participated in the ring and that they should be in prison? Absolutely. I'm, I'm very much familiar with the Clintons, especially I was exposed to them in the uh, late 70s, back when Bill Clinton was still attorney general before he was even governor of Arkansas. And he had his MENA um, Arkansas cocaine operations going on for the CIA. And within those cocaine operations were um, human trafficking operations, and it merged directly in with my first handler in MK Ultra Mind Control, Wayne Cox. Wayne Cox was a CIA, CIA assassin that worked um, for the Clintons with their cocaine operations, but mostly because Bill Clinton's um, half-brother, Roger Clinton, was in his occult um, covenant his circle and whatever you want to call it for the purposes of distributing the adrenalized blood of occult victims through that particular operation. So the Clintons have been involved in drug operations and occultism and the adrenochrome, the precursor to that, to um, tortured MK Ultra mind control, human trafficking operations, and I've been exposed to them. I was exposed to them for years. So yes, they need to be locked up and we need to realize that their power has been this this cabal, this this global elite that, that got, or self-claimed elite, that got control because we, we don't think to look for that kind of criminal activity. We don't think to look for that kind of a dark force agenda manipulating our minds through the media and through education. Knowledge is our defense against mind control. So they have, they have maintained control over our knowledge base so that, you know, we, I mean, we all formulate our thoughts, opinions, and actions based on what we know and we need to know.
that Hillary Clinton was supposed to usher in this new world order 2016. And when that didn't happen, that's in my testimony, Transformation of America. That was released in 1995. National security was invoked on it because of the information that it revealed that pertains to today. Exactly what we're seeing today is, ha is happening. It's all it detailed in there. It's secured on my website, too. The transformation of America was my testimony for Congress, and it showed how Hillary Clinton was supposed to go into the office of president. And she was going in through rigged electronic voting machines. Where in the world electronic voting machines are being used? We need to realize that the New World Order perpetrators have been stealing elections ever since the inception of electronic voting machines. I know from being around people like the Clintons, deep in their swamp under their MK Ultra mind control, they had no concern whatsoever over elections. They didn't worry about campaigning. They knew they were going to be placed in office in order to bring about this new world order agenda that adolf hitler had started so long ago that has now we're right we're almost at the hundred year completion of it and we all need to realize that um they lost their power <laughs> hillary didn't even get in you know let's lock her up you know it's it's ridiculous that we don't people like that need to be held accountable for their actions and when we start seeing some justice restored to our world, that will be very helpful. But again, many justices, many supreme justices have been compromised through the pedophile agenda. It's a blackmail agenda as well, and it compromises um, people in positions of influence and power and has corrupted our justice system. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I'm in my 60s, and my father was given immunity from prosecution back you know, in the early 1960s. So it's it's absurd to know how long this has been going on, but we didn't see it. Now we're seeing it. Now that we can see it, we can do something about it mm -hmm. and take back the uh, morality and decency um, of our lives and start living our lives the way that 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 we were intended to live them we're all here for a reason right now and it's an amazing time to be alive we just need to claim our power and start living our love shine our light protect our children this is so interesting kathy it's gone so fast there's only a few minutes left i thought i would love to talk to you all night but we've got other guests coming so there's just time for a couple more questions so ray j one of the viewers has sent a question for you has the Catholic Church known this for centuries. Didn't they teach the Nazis and the CIA? Yes, yes. Um, and what they had learned about the Spanish Inquisition and the Crusades so long ago, they already knew about the effects of trauma on the human mind. So, yes, they've been um, at the basis of this for a long time, and it's time that their um, agenda crumbles, and it, that will happen naturally as we protect our children and help them um, reclaim their free thought just as I did. I was able to reclaim my free thought and heal. Everyone can. Again, it's posted on my website with uh, a pay what you can if you can option. So everybody can have it now, regardless of income. We need to reclaim our own free thought, protect our children going forward. And um, yeah, stop the Catholic agenda. Stop this whole new world order agenda. It's over.
Next question is from Easy E. Hi, Kathy. What do you think was on Weiner's laptop and Hunter's laptop? That needs to be exposed. I mean, we've all seen so much from that, and it's um, it's ridiculous that they're not being held accountable for that, for those actions. However, um, again, the pedophile agenda is at the crux of the trauma base of mind control. And even as we know that things like that are existing, that's traumatic to us to see the injustice of that going on and on and on. So um, that is also being used as a, a trauma base for mind control. So um, as we stop being immobilized by the negativity that we're being bombarded with and rise above it through reclaiming our free thought, pick up a pen, write it out, write out any fear, any trauma, and then add a solution. The very act of moving a pen uses the logic part of the brain and takes and shifts that into logic where we can consciously deal with it and become mobilized to take action against it. So pick up a pen and start writing and um, check out PTSD Time to Heal because it's inexcusable that we allow this kind of injustice to go on any longer. Do you think Hillary Clinton is going to run again and attempt to further this agenda? If they feel like they've, can, they still have access to rigged electronic voting machines, yes. But the effort here to, um, to maintain those electronic voting machines in, in the U.S. is extreme, but the people are still aware. So, the, you know, I'm sure that she's just sitting on the fence waiting to see whether or not she's going to be put in. She knows the people won't put her in. But if, if she feels like their elections are rigged, then, um, then she may take that, that position. I can't foresee that happening because it didn't happen in 2016. And it's sure not going to happen now. People are waking up all over the world. Look at it happening. The awareness is rising. And, and people are, are not taking it anymore. They're not complying with this agenda. Hillary's a done deal as far as I'm concerned. All that's left now is we need to lock her up. Do you think Hillary will have Glenn Maxwell suicided because of what she knows about the Clintons? Or do you think because of her relationship with the Clintons, a few years from now she'll get out through a back door like Bill Cosby did by handing down, you know, cashing in on those relationships? Um, because we're so aware, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to um, fix our justice system better than that. And um, there have been so many suicides that, but you know, it, Clinton suicide, suiciding people has been known before the internet was even popular. We used to send information through the, through the mail, you know, and there was like the Clinton hit list and it was a thick thing back then, you know, because anybody that got in their way, they just, they killed them and, and got away with it because they had so much control over the justice system and the politics um, here in the U.S. Kathy, we've run out of time. Please tell the viewers where they can find you and support you and follow you and read your stuff. Yes, on my website, trance-formation.com. That's T-R-A-N-C-E hyphen formation.com. All my books are secured there, and I strongly recommend them because they are packed with information that will empower us to effectively uh, restore peace and justice and love to our lives. Kathy, amazing. Um, we hope that you would come back on soon. I would love to dive deeper into the hashtag Clinton body count, Vince Foster and the likes and so many other subjects we've brought up today, but we could speak for hours on. So God bless you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. You take care. 
and, and cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. Good grief. That was phenomenal. I can see why Kathy is one of the most requested guests ever. She was on fire. I mean, that like 30 minutes felt like five minutes. I was just like, whoa. It was just relentless. Relentless. That's what we want. Now we're going to bring in the two Andrews. Andrew Gold and Andrew Collins. Let's find Andrew Collins. Here's the golden child. Hello, my old mucker. Tell me, ma'am. Oh, let's bring in Andrew Collins and I will toggle off. Please do. Get out of you, here, you. God, that, that last guess. Wow. Phenomenal. Yeah, I caught, I caught some of Mind it. That's blowing. Mind Amazing. blowing. Yeah, your mind's blown, isn't it? it my mind is blown. What was probably. your favourite thing she said? About the Clintons, probably, because I've got a thing for them. I've been researching them for so many years. And it was the war on drugs that led me to them because they mass incarcerated hundreds of thousands of women for the first time in US history, non-violent, low-level drug offenders. They sold infected blood to the whole world and people are still dying to this day of hepatitis and HIV, uh, prisoners' blood from the Arkansas State Prison. I mean, just the pure evil of these people knows no bounds. There's um, a, an excellent book about them actually called Partners in Power. Ah. Describes how their relationship was just one of convenience for power. Yeah, yeah. As two evil people just got together to do what they do best. There's your book as well, isn't there? About Clinton's or... There is. Uh, yeah. Who killed um, Barry Seal, was it? Roger Rabbit. Oh, no, that was Pablo Escobar, George W. Bush. Clinton, Bush and CIA Conspiracies is my book, yeah. Thanks for the book plug, Andrew. Oh, mate. It's doing really even, well on the Amazon. Don't even, wor- don't even worry about it, mate. Don't even. Hard time, my jail memoir. So I am trying to bring Andrew Collins in. I've, I've tried twice now. He's not yet materialised. He says he was invited a few seconds ago. We can reprompt him. There might be an internet um, speed Yeah, I hope not, because those ones are always sometimes. hard, aren't they? Yeah. Sometimes there's an internet speed issue, and, and um, perhaps if, if he wants to do the internet speed test on Google and see what his speed is running at, because there's got to be a certain speed for, for you to live stream. And this is there's no writing in it. Times in the past. There's no. no dedication. There's no writing. Why not? Well, books em- the whole book's empty, mate. What do you mean? There's no writing in it. Let's have a look. Look, I can't believe that. That's the first page. <laughs> <laughs> I had rat- you for a minute. You thought, I've handed out and I've sold all these and they've got nothing in it and everyone's been too polite to say. <laughs> you rapscallion. Oh, God. Yes, Lord. so Andrew, if you're watching, um, if you go on Google, just put internet speed test, click go. It will tell you your internet speed because it's got to be a certain level for you to get on the live stream. If it's if it's flaky Wi-Fi, it might not be strong enough to join us this evening. Yeah, then we'll just have to natter. We'll just have to natter. No, you're yeah. going to have to natter. I've got my bloody break. <laughs> That's unfortunate, that, mate, isn't it? You're just going to have to keep nattering. I think we're well, going to I'll just plug my podcast for half an hour. That's the only I th- thing I know what to talk about. I think we're going to bring Addy Ads, Addy Ads in. That's it. If, if Ash um, wants to do that. Yeah. 
which means that I, I actually get a break. You get a bloody break. Is that it? Are you done for the night? Yeah, it's quite nice. Actually. That is ridiculous. You've done an yeah. hour. Well, you know what? Given, ridiculous. given the way you, you stood me up, and I am going to mention this publicly, but given how you stood me up on TikTok about three hours ago now. There was a miscommunication. I, I am owed. Oh, we're getting, we're getting signals from Ash. Click on Ash Meekle because he has signed up as me. Now, <laughs> that is... Skinwalkers. Talk about throwing us off with doppelganger simulation pseudonyms. I thought I was getting off. I was getting out of here. <laughs> You're getting in. He's coming oh, as Ash. God. It's oh. going to be Andrew and Ash. It's my worst nightmare. No. What? He told us it's the wrong one. Look at the chat. User 4858AA71. Bloody hell, Ash. What's going on? User 445871. Oh, there's two Ashes, is that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This. You haven't you haven't gone and put user four four five six seven two on. Oh, you know you do that. How do you even do that? Do you have to search by username? Let's have a look. Four five eight. Darren Brown is MK Ultra. I'm seeing in the chat. Paste. I had a I had a good story with Darren Brown. I went up on stage when I went to see him a, a few weeks ago. Did you know? Didn't I tell you about that? You did, but I'm prompting you so you can expand on it to the viewers while I, uh, <laughs> while I embarrassingly um, try and get the next guest in and, and did you, press, did you do press for extra time with your anecdotes. <laughs> oh, I went to see Darren. Gold, always believe in your soul. That's easy, he's written that. I went to see Darren in Bristol and he uh, called up people. Just complete coincidence because he's seen my exorcism film. He's actually seen it and is a big fan of it, apparently, according to someone I know who knows Darren. And then Darren... Oh! Oh! It's Andrew. Right, it says you're Ash. I can hear you. How are you doing? I like your hat. Cheers, yes. Uh, I'm taking it off for a bit. Um, (laughs) Can can you hear me and can you see me? Am I on screen? I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you fine. I was just waiting to see if I could hear any echo when i speak to you because you don't have headphones on do you but i think it's all right even without them yeah okay apparently my name is ash but that's that's okay it will be today so ash or andrew collins as your pseudonym is um tell us a little bit about your your background science history writing all all the stuff well um i've just come back from uh, awakening expo at blackpool in the north of england which is the largest uh, consciousness ufo ancient mysteries um event in europe this year uh, where i was a keynote speaker there alongside eric von danik and uh, Giorgio from ancient aliens and various of my colleagues um that was an incredible hit um and so yeah back in essex now which is where i live just outside of london um and i think we're going to talk about what ufos are and how we are looking at them slightly differently today i think that's probably where we're going here we'll go wherever you want it to go wherever you think these lovely listeners will be most intrigued and excited but we can talk about what what ufos are i mean what are you because i've I've noticed a change in the people are saying uaps nowadays aren't they is that the same thing well i mean the term uap is something which both the US government and the US military have decided to, you know, rename, rebrand UFOs 
simply because there's such a stigma uh, associated with the term flying saucers or UFOs. And, you know, literally there is. Of course there is. I mean, people just laugh at you if you say that, you know, you are interested in that subject. Um, so the US military realized that, you know, there's, there's a problem there. I mean, these things are being seen by uh, US uh, Navy uh, personnel, military personnel, you know, every week, I, arguably every day, you know, off mm -hmm. of aircraft carriers, warships, things like that, you know, as well as by pilots in the sky, you know, in, in, in you know, jet fighters and things like that. And they know that it's something they've got to investigate. Obviously, they, they've had various um, different uh, projects that uh, have, you know, have, have, have they've undertaken and have been completed. Um, and you know the 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 you know the, the vibe the ripple that's coming out of the press releases that they're giving is that they don't know what they are. I mean, these things are invading our airspace. They clearly have been doing that for a, a very long time, um, and we need to know what they are. And yeah. there is no evidence at all that they are uh, coming from some military power. You know, Russia, China, North Korea, uh, or anywhere like that. Um, so if they're not coming from from another, um, you know, power, then they are other. They are something else. So we need to know what that something else is. And I mean, quite clearly, everybody, if you've mentioned UFOs, the first thing people think about is that you're talking about, you know, alien spaceships made of nuts and bolts that, you know, are coming here from a, a, another planet, another star system. Um, and some may well be. I mean, as, as early as 1963, Carl Sagan, the great cosmologist and astronomer, um, wrote a paper saying that it was inevitable that humanity had been visited on countless occasions by extraterrestrials, you know, during the course of its history. Um, I mean, you know, he even suggested looking in Sumerian texts for evidence of this. And yet, unfortunately, when he joined NASA as a consultant, they basically turned around to him and said, look, you know, all this UFO alien stuff, you, you've got to keep it to yourself. You know, we cannot have you talking about this publicly. So he dropped it. And most people think that Carl Sagan did not believe in, in UFOs and aliens, but he did. I mean, he absolutely did. But he had to drop it if he wanted to work with NASA. And this has been the problem. I mean, obviously, NASA as a national organization in America has tried desperately for the last, you know, 50, 60 years to suppress uh, any knowledge to do with UFOs. But the US military are clearly thinking differently now. They're saying, you know, are these objects a threat to aircraft, um, you know, a threat to uh, the national security of a country? You know, obviously the US primarily. Uh, and if they are, we need to know what they are. But then, of course, you you start thinking in terms of um, disclosure, whistleblowers, you know, underground bases working with aliens, Roswell, Area 51. And the whole thing starts getting very muddied very quickly as to what's going on. And, I mean, I've been investigating UFOs for as much as 40 years. And I came to the conclusion very quickly, very early on, that it wasn't simply a case of nuts and bolts spacecraft coming down here, landing, 
and then going back to where they come. It's not as easy as that. There's something far more complex involved and that this phenomena has been with us in one form or another for many thousands of years. Um, so you have to start looking at other alternatives as to what they are. As I said, we're not dissing the, high, the idea that, we're, that we might be dealing with some physical aliens, but there's something else going on. And many of the UFOs that appear just appear out of nowhere, just, just manifest. And they're there for a, a period of time, it could be minutes, you know, maybe as much as an hour, maybe more. Um, and then they seem to disappear and vanish. Most of them are made of, you know, light, solid light of some description, whether it be, you know, white or some other color. It can be groups of lights. It can move around. It can, um, you know, make these incredible maneuvers. Um, and it can be seen during the day and, and, and look very physical in nature, as, as we all know from those great U.S. Navy videos that we've seen in recent years. But what are they? I mean, you know. And, I, and, the, and the book that I've, I've just um, written and been published called Origins of the Gods, co-authored with my colleague Greg Little, is basically saying that, look, you know, yes, we understand that the aliens are out there, but is it possible that we're dealing with um, entities, dealing with beings that somehow coexist with us that are transdimensional in nature? In other words, you know, they operate on a multidimensional framework, which is beyond that of normal space time. Um, and that somehow they're able to use what we call UFOs um, to manifest into our world. So then you have to say to yourself, well, you know, what, what is a UFO if it's not made of nuts and bolts? Well, we think that the main constituent of them the main stuff that's used to create them or in, in out of which they manifest is what's known as plasma. Plasma is known as the false state of matter. Um, we all know about the, the, the obvious three states. You've got solids, you've got liquids, and you've got gases. And all of them basically are, are related. But beyond uh, gases, you have plasma. And plasma is the false state of matter. and it's essentially electrons that have been released from atoms, you know, countless amounts of them. This happens in the Earth, it happens naturally. It's associated with what we call electricity or electromagnetic fields. And these electrons, once they are freed up, they surround themselves with uh, electromagnetic, self-generated electromagnetic fields. And they release photons of light photons are tiny particles of light and each one bumps into each other bumps into their you know it, it, it creates this chain reaction process and suddenly boom it's like a light bulb appearing in front of you and you know this this is an object an object of light and you know it can be very small um it can exist for only a microsecond or it can be much harder much solid much more solid and Plasma itself is behind everything from lightning to the, you know, the, the, the source of the sun, the light of the sun, to black holes, stars. In fact, most of the, the universe is actually made up of plasma um, and not physical matter or atomic matter. And so it, it, it is integral to our understanding of, you know, life, not just out in the, the, the universe, but possibly manifesting 
in our own space time, which remember is three dimensions of space and one dimension of, um, of uh, yeah, three dimensions of space, one of time. But what uh, various theoretical physicists have suggested and proposed is that plasma itself has an extra dimension of space. So it has four dimensions of space as opposed to three. And if that's so, then it suddenly becomes possible that it is some kind of gateway or doorway or portal into a higher dimensional reality. In other words, there's a step down process. Plasma can be used as a step down process from a from a multi-dimensional environment into a, a three-dimensional environment of space and one of time, which is what we live in here in our physical world. And the other important thing about plasma is that it was noticed a long time ago that it seems to come alive. Um, and theoretical physicist David Bowen, for instance, um, who was American, British and, and Brazilian uh, in nationality, um, he came to the conclusion that intelligences from a deeper level of existence could occupy plasma once it was manifested. And he believed that they came from something that he referred to as the implicate order, something behind our own physical universe. And that this implicate order, his colleague Basil Hiley referred to as the pre-space, you know, and it's what we'd call a non-local medium, some, something that exists outside of, of normal space, that energy um, and information and possibly even mass is able to be transferred. So that, um, you know, it becomes like this sort of super highway outside of normal reality through which information uh, can be transferred. And that, that can be transferred through a process that's known as quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement is the idea that particles can become twin, they can become linked. And once they become linked, they, they, they always retain an instantaneous relationship between each other. And this is happening all the time, all around us. You know, whole systems of entangled particles. It might be behind everything from black holes, wormholes, um, to different systems to do with the way that birds fly and animals, um, you know, are able to navigate. Plus, it becomes possible that it is also behind what we call telepathy, mind over matter, and possibly even precognition. And yeah. once you realise that, the idea of communicating with UFOs, with objects that you see, becomes very possible. In other words, it's possible that what we know as UFOs, or some of them at least, are plasma objects, what they call plasmoids or plasma constructs, and that we link in mind with them, we can connect with them, we can have um, almost like a communion or relationship with them once we actually connect with them in mind. And, you know, this is just the start of some of the ideas that we're looking at, you know, in this new mm -hmm. book, Origins of the Gods. Um, and it's taken off massively. I mean, the the foreword is written by Eric von Daniken himself, whose book, Chariots of the Gods, you know, about the whole concept of was God an astronaut and whatever, kickstarted a lot of this back in the late 60s. Um, you know, my colleague Robert Temple, the author of The, the Serious Mystery, uh, he's got a book out called New Science of Heaven, which is, again, all about plasma being being alive and intelligent. And there's no question that plasma and the idea of transdimensional beings um, having some connection with us and possibly explaining some connection with, with, with aliens is something which, 
is almost like the next stage in our understanding of of, of the communion with higher intelligence. Hmm. So do you have, I mean, it's speculation, isn't it? Is the idea just to, because a lot of that's new and interesting stuff for me, so I'm trying to get my head around it. Is it that we're, we're and I'm going to say it in very layman's terms, a, potentially aliens or whatever from another dimension are using plasma. I can hear people going, no, you idiot, that's, you're not getting it right. Um, using plasma, almost as, as you say, like a highway. Um, and they're sort of popping in here, taking a quick look. What do you think they're doing? Well, I, I think that they've been with us, if you like, since the beginning. I mean, probably since the beginning of humanity in Africa a couple of million years ago. Mm. Um, I mean, I in the book, I, I cover a site called the Kezem Cave in Israel. And why is this important? Well, people were living there 400,000 years ago, down to about 200,000 years ago. And they invented shamanism. This, the oldest shamanism in the world is found in this cave. Now, what shamanism? Shamanism is the idea that you know special people can go into a trance state or an altered state of consciousness, you know, using one or other method, and enter into otherworldly realms and communicate with the 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 beings, the intelligences, the consciousness in those other realms, and that they can then pull back information into the world in which they live. And the Kezem Cave people were doing this, as, you know, as much as 400,000 years ago. Now, that's interesting in itself and was enough to get me to drop everything and go over to Israel in 2019 when this was announced. But what's more important is that at the same time, those Kezem people were becoming the smartest people on the planet. So many firsts for humanity are being credited now to those you know those, those those people i mean for instance they had the earliest form of what is being referred to as canned food you know um food that, that is quickly sort of like stored so you can use it you know at a later date and this took the form of like um deer bones inside which you've got marrow and they were able to pack them in a certain way and throw them in their backpack so that they could use them as an easy meal yeah, for, for, for many weeks, you know, after the, 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 the deer or the animal had been killed, the earliest freezing of food. You know, they were able to use ash in a certain way to be able to preserve food you know, for a long period of time. The earliest production of, of certain types of stone tools, the earliest what they even referred to as a school of rock, which is basically that there was a school within this, this large cave um, where pupils would come and learn how to. Uh, you know, to, to manufacture these these beautiful stone tools, and that there are places all around the cave, centered around a hearth, that were all designated for different purposes, whether it be religious, whether it be material, whether it be teaching or whatever. And I mean, this doesn't sound like you know rock and roll to us, but for humanity, these people were getting so far advanced that you have to say to yourself, well, surely this has got some connection with the fact that they are also at the same time writing the the textbook on shamanism you know so that's interesting so in other words during the communications were they connected with otherworldly intelligences and if they were who were they well on the horizon from kezem is a mountain that features very heavily in the bible the early stages of the bible as the dwelling place of god 
and all the early patriarchs were there that's you know the the place that they they went to and lived around it's called mount gerizim and the thing is it's said that god manifested on this mountain in the form of the shekinah the shekinah means presence of god but it's generally interpreted as meaning like light you know like blinding light you know just like he did on mount sinai for moses much later mm. and that um that you know and i thought well, this is weird i mean you know so i looked into this mountain more and i found that those mysterious lights you know that could have been interpreted as a manifestation of some kind of god you know i yahweh himself are still seen, seen there today and i actually went to the mountain i climbed it and there's a religious community that live at the top of it called the samaritans you know no connection with the people that you ask for help if you've got a problem and these people claim to be the the, the true um, descendants of the Israelites, the early Israelites. And I went up to the one of the high priests and talked to him about, you know, the mysteries of Mount Gerizim. And I said to him, you know, are these light scenes still to die? And he said, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I said, well, how are they interpreted? And the, and the word he used was malak, which is an Arabic word, and it means angel. So what we call UFOs or UFA, UAPs today, these, this religious community to this day refer to these lights, these mysterious objects that are seen as manifestations of God's messengers, angels. And I find this so incredible when you think of people like Eric von Daniken writing Chariots of the Gods in the late 60s and suggesting that in the past, you know, the ancients, the people of the Bible or whatever saw, you know, UFOs as angels or you know, manifestations of God or whatever. This is still going on today. This is the same phenomena. But can we dare to suggest that this type of phenomena was going on in connection with this mountain as much as 400,000 years ago mm. and that the Kezem people connected with it and were in touch with the intelligences associated with these lights? I think the answer is yes. I think that they knew that these lights were there. They would go to the mountain. We know that they went there to get a special type of flint that they took away to make stone tools. So we know that they had an interest in this mountain. And we know that there are holy mountains all the way around the world where UFOs, mysterious lights, UAPs appear on a regular basis, like Mount Shasta in California, um, Mount Athos in Greece. Uh, various places in China, like Taishan, which I was at a few years ago. I talk about that in the book. You know, these are the places that manifest these lights more easily. And place is very important because you're dealing with what you what we now call today portals, portal locations. What is a portal location? It's somewhere where UFOs, paranormal activity, maybe cryptids as well, appear on a regular basis. All of these things are interlinked. And the geology of a location would seem to be important. It's very intense. It produces these, these fields of electrons that themselves produce something called ionization. And this is the correct environment to produce plasma. And the plasma then becomes the medium through which these intelligences are able to manifest and, and connect with this world. And once that link is there, I think people are able to continue this communion with these intelligences, just as they are with alien abductions today, 
using um, altered states of consciousness, shamanism, um, you know, psychic communications. And the, mm. I think the Kezem people, that's exactly what they were doing. And the knowledge they have to move forward and become the smartest people on the planet is because of this communication with these trans-dimensional intelligences. It's fascinating. And um, uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm echoing now, aren't I? I wasn't before. But thank you very much for that. Where can people find your stuff? Um, well, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, andrewcollins.com, uh, there is a breakdown of, of all of this research in the book, Origins of the Gods. Um, and very clearly, and that's on andrewcollins.com. I mean, clear, clear if you want the book, um, it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Uh, there's a foreword by Eric von Daniken who, who, who is acknowledging that the UFO phenomenon needs to be taken on to the next stage if we truly are to understand what it is. All right, it's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. It's all fascinating, Andrew. You've got a great name as well, Andrew. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, have a lovely yeah. evening. Thanks. Right, thank you. To, thank you. So, someone will bump you off now, I think. I don't okay, know. Well, and if not, <laughs> <laughs> if not, we'll just continue talking until they do. Oh, I see. Right. You, you well, I don't know. Me off to somebody going to be knocking at the front door. No, they're not going to come. No, no, and, we um, can talk as much as you want. Um, I'm not going to assassinate you. No, right. Well, uh, I wouldn't have thought so, not for UFO research. Yeah, where are they, though? Because they're supposed to have Addy ads on now. Right. I don't know. Sean must be in the toilet or something. Okay. Who knows? More information, well, but never mind. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know where he is. I've got no idea where the, where the boy... Well, ask me one more is. question. I mean, there must be some strange things being said in the... Well, they're not saying it. I mean, I guess because they, sort of, they trust me to... Uh, oh, the, the right they thing. Said the Asans were the first to follow the way of Yeshua by Bunny. <laughs> no idea what that means. Alexis um, Amai says, God is an inter interdimensional being. Is he slash she slash it not? Well, I mean, I mean, in short, I mean, when Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai, he communicated with God in the form of what they referred to as a terrifying fire or a devouring fire. Yeah. And it was in this form that he supposedly gained the, the the tablets of the law, you know, the Ten Commandments. But in addition to that, he was given the specs to create the Ark of the Covenant directly from God. And God said, look, you know, make this and you can use this as a as a temporary vehicle for me to move around whilst the Israelites are in the wilderness of Sinai. So he makes this box and you know, that that God appears over the top of it in this form as the Shekinah. And obviously it's a very dangerous thing. People cannot go up and touch it. It has to be kept in this special tent called the tabernacle. Um, but, I mean, what's so important about that is that this information is coming directly from God. This is technology. This, you know, th this entity in the form of light is saying, look, this is how you can communicate with me on a regular basis. I mean, I find that incredible that, you know, the Ark of the Covenant could be a piece of, you know, transdimensional intelligence technology. I mean, that to me, I find really, really interesting. And I think that this is something that has been going on since at least the time of the Kezem K 400,000 years ago. And it's probably going on today. I, I think that there are probably a number of companies and think tanks that know that these, these entities exist and deliberately try to communicate with them to get the next big thing.
you know, whether it be artificial intelligence, you know, nanotechnology, uh, consciousness mm. research, whatever, they know that they are there and they deliberately work with psychics to try and communicate with these entities. Wow, that is fascinating. Is Sean there yet? Might not be. Because <laughs> I do have another... Oh, course he is. He's there. Shawnee boy, right. Well, then I can say, I can bid you good evening, Andrew. That was on the show if you if you were around or something right well okay well thank you for having me yeah well it was a pleasure uh, Sean, thank you everybody him... for listening and thank you for the comments on the side which seem to give me the thumbs up so thank you for that yeah they love you they love you so uh, but as, as i said you know if you're interested in anything i've said go on to andrewcollins.com uh, there's a you know breakdown of, of the book breakdown of its contents um, and loads and loads of articles, which I think you'll find of interest. Well, there you go. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, there he goes. And here come cometh Sean. I believe. I am. Hi. Yes. How's it going? Ah, oh, shattered. You know, got to get my back going all the time. I'm constantly doing this during the thing. Looking forward to an early night, are you? Oh. Yeah, yeah, 20 past nine. Most people finish their job at five in the afternoon. I started at eight this morning. <laughs> Never ends. I was still asleep at eight. Yeah, well, so was I. <laughs> <laughs> You're just dreaming about work because you love exactly. it so much. I was dreaming about you. and that's it's your, basically... it's your passion. I'm your passion. This job you is my passion. passion. <laughs> right, shall I leave you to Addy Ads? Yes, bugger off, you hairy backed. Do bid him hello from me and goodbye to everyone. See you next time. Come see you on the edge with Andrew Gold. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Ash. Ash is knackered as well and he's sliding. So I am in control of your TV screen. Do not adjust your focus. We're going to bring in Addy Ads and Roberta Glass. Here we go. Let's find Addy right now. There he is. Invite onto the screen. Roberta, invite onto the screen. All right. This has been the biggest uh, story in true crime. Is, of course, the Maxwell Epstein Prince Andrew Honey Trap International Crime Syndicate. Addy Ads was present at the hearings. He had his, the tip of his finger on the pulse of what was going on. And how does it feel, Addy, to see that she got 20 years? And do you think she's going to slip through the cracks when the media interest dies down? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a good question, Sean. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Uh, by the way, Roberta Glass, uh, of Roberta Glass True Crime Report is here to, to discuss uh, as well. I am in New York right now, and I covered every day of the trial, uh, except for yesterday. I'm actually in Long Island right now covering the election, but uh, I still uh, kept up with the Maxwell reporting uh, yesterday. And, but Roberta was there uh, in person at the, at the trial, and he was on uh, a couple of Maxwell uh, interviews that I did during the trial in December. So I'm glad to introduce you guys. Hey, Roberta. Huge thank you for coming on. I don't know if you I don't know if you were the history of of uh, our reporting on that uh, Epstein and Maxwell, but I lost my YouTube channel twice over it, and we're banned from covering it on YouTube. So obviously the powers that be don't want this information getting out there to the masses. We had about sixty million views on what we'd done, 
and you know we salute you for carrying the torch and going to the hearings uh, etc how do you feel about her getting 20 years do you think that when the media dies down she's going to bill cosby out through some back door um, well, and go on go oh, for sorry. it i'm sorry sean thanks for having me on that's very interesting uh jennifer bonjean who's a innocence project lawyer who I find a very disreputable, <laughs> you know, I think she's a horrible person, in my opinion, got Bill Cosby out. She's working on getting R. Kelly out. Will she work on getting Maxwell out? She doesn't seem, I mean, I don't know if Maxwell, if it's a race thing with her. She's represented plenty of white, rich people before, but that's her thing. She's team criminal. And uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if uh, Maxwell has some kind of, innocence campaign um, in, in 10 years. Um, there are some really interesting things that came out that really aren't being reported. One, um, and I think it's not being reported because they were calculating her sentencing and it's like a very <laughs> boring thing. It's a whole calculation. You have a certain amount of, oh, what is it called? You know, a certain amount of points with how horrible the crimes are and you get extra points for victims and stuff. So they're making those calculations at that time. So the press is sort of around me, seems to be falling asleep. And at that time, it was brought up that they say Maxwell is bankrupt. She's claiming to the court that she is bankrupt. Then it was brought up. Then the judge said, well, look, basically she said, you've lied so much to the court that I think Judge Nathan called her finances a moving target, which I found a perfect way to put it. In her first bail application, she said she had $3.8 million. In her second application, she has um, tens of millions of dollars. So what what's the deal, Maxwell? And then it was brought up that uh, Mac, uh, Judge Nathan brought up that the court has seen no evidence that She's been married to Scott Borgeson, nor is there have been ever any evidence that she's been divorced. So they're kind of floating out this idea that she might get something in a divorce settlement. And Judge Nathan expressed her extreme skepticism that that union was ever really a legal union. So I, I found that pretty interesting. It's and, bizarre. And That's bizarre yeah. because she was claiming to have tens of millions in the low tens of millions just not long ago to as proof you know as proof that she could post a bond but now that she's eligible for everything getting taken from her she's bankrupt how convenient right right yeah and, and not and to so, mention her lawyer team costs i think seven million in total right but the colorado lawyers weren't there so gone was uh pagaluka maybe you can pronounce it better than i can addy and and uh, manager were gone it was yeah pagaluka was gone. Manager was not there, maybe because they didn't want to travel from Colorado, maybe because she's gotten rid of them. But it was just Everdale and um, Bobby Sternheim. And Everdale did a really clever thing. I think he should. I mean, it's a really clever lawyer thing what he did to, to get her sentence reduced. So he's he really pushed and said on an extreme technicality that one of her victims would have been 18 in 2004 that her crimes really ended in 2003. So therefore she had to be sentenced under the 2003 guidelines, which are much softer than the 2004 guidelines. So already, but you know, as they say that, a judge doesn't have to pay attention to any of these guidelines 
in, in, uh, in these kind of federal cases, these are just guidelines. The judge could give way less, way more. So I, I looked and the government was pushing for 50 years. So and they were saying this is that case that demands 50 years. They were really making an argument, but they were, you know, when you try cases that are so old, and that was also brought up as a reason why she should get <laughs> she could get less time is because her crimes are so old and she hasn't had uh, done any criminal behavior. Basically, everything was dumped on Epstein. Like, she's been a model citizen. And my response to that is she just hasn't, we don't know that. <laughs> and that's your word, Maxwell, and Maxwell's lawyer. We don't know what she's been doing. Until nobody's accused you of anything, that doesn't mean that you've led a model life uh, since these crimes. Well, it doesn't matter what kind of a model life she's led since these crimes. If you're indoctrinating minors into paedophilic, heinous activity, procuring kids from schools, models from Eastern Europe, you know, aspiring models being top promised jobs in, in Victoria's Secrets, etc. Next thing they're in an orgy with Prince Andrew on the paedophile island and these kids' lives are ruined for the rest of their lives. That deserves an extremely heavy sentence and I do fear that she's going to get out through a back door with, by, by bribing, uh, you know, making a political contribution to the right people. But let, let's just look at what she said in the court because Talk about not showing any remorse. Now, you mentioned the point system. So you've got aggravating, aggravating factors. You've got mitigating right. factors. And right. certainly her statement is an aggravating factor because she's not took any responsibility. So I'm going to read. I'll read some of it and get you guys' thoughts on it. So, Your Honor, it's hard for me to address the court after listening to the pain and anguish expressed today. Terrible impact on the lives of so many women is difficult to hear and even more difficult to absorb in its scale and its extent. Well, you shouldn't have put those women through that pain, should you, in the first bloody place. I want to acknowledge their suffering. I empathise deeply with all the victims in the case. However, I acknowledge that. Uh, I acknowledge with that I have been a victim of helping Epstein commit these crimes. So I'm his chief procurer, but I'm a victim. That's right. I was out on the streets procuring kids to be molested, but I am a victim. Preposterous. I realise I have been convicted of assisting Epstein to commit these crimes. My association with him will remain a stain on me. It's the biggest regret of my life that I ever met him. But not indoctrinating these kids into getting sexually assaulted, raped, molested, whatever. That, that is not the biggest regret of her life. No, because she was fooled. Uh, Epstein fooled all of those in his orbit, she said. His victims considered him a mentor, friend, lover. Epstein should have stood before you in 2005, in 2009, again in 2009. But today, it is for me to be sentenced, his impact upon all those who were close to him has been devastating. He should have been here before you. He should have stood here. It gives the dates again. But today, it is not for Epstein. It is for me to be sentenced. Victims considered him as a godfather, mentor, benefactor, friend, lover. It is absolutely unfathomable today to think that he was how he was viewed contemporaneously. His impact on all those close to him has been devastating. I'm sorry for the pain that you have experienced. I hope this brings the women who have suffered some measure of peace and faintly to help you put those experiences of so many years ago in a place that allows you to look forward and not back. It is my sincerest wish to all those in the courtroom and all those outside the courtroom that today brings a terrible chapter to an end. May this day help you travel through darkness and light. What, what do you think of that? Well, what happened before it was even more insulting. 
I know, or just as insulting. Hold on. <laughs> Which was her lawyer stood up and said, may I address the victim? So she turned around in the gallery, Bobby Sternheim, and did this kind of long sigh, holding a microphone and, and said, I, 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 hearing the pain and the anguish was so difficult and she hopes whatever the sentence is, it gives them some solace and that they can heal and move on with their lives. She's been helping this, this predator. I mean, I know everybody deserves a lawyer and a defense, but come on. It was too much BS for me to, I was surprised the victims didn't start throwing tomatoes at that point. It was so awful. And then to have Maxwell, it was really surprising because Maxwell has said almost nothing through, Addie can tell you, through the entire trial. She, we only seen her really drink coffee, say yes, judge, no judge, that kind of thing. And I thought she wasn't going to really say anything. But this, it seemed to me that that statement was really written either with her lawyer, Bobby Sternheim, or by her lawyer. Because it was, Bobby Sternheim almost gave the exact same speech, except Except, you know, and and that's and judge, you know, except it with a little bit more drama, and a little less poshness than than Ghislaine Maxwell, and uh, Judge Nathan remarked on that before she sentenced Maxwell her lack of remorse. And the New York Post is their headline is that Maxwell apologized to the victims. No, that was a, that was not an apology. That was an I'm sorry you feel that way. I did nothing wrong. I'm a victim too. It was a, I'm the real victim here. I'm the one getting sentenced Poor me. You know, it just was, it was a car crash, cringy, insulting, out, out, an enraging speech. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, you know. So, I, so how, how far away from her were you when she was doing the speech? I was in the overflow room. So I actually could see her face. Everybody, everybody else was looking at the back of her. And she's just, it was, you know, she's been absolutely steely-eyed, stone-faced through the whole thing. And that and that's what you got. Really a cold, cold, self-interested, self-entitled woman. Very smart. I mean, that's what I got from her. What did you get, Addie? Yeah, uh, the only, I think, thing she said was on the last day of of the trial before you know before the verdict came in that is she said basically i i feel they have not proved my guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and there's no no near no need for me to to, to testify uh but similar to the march uh, jurigate hearing she was in her federal blues from uh what i heard and uh, professor Thomas Bolsho, who's a criminology professor, was there too. He was just talking about how you could hear her the the clank of the chains and her, you know the limited range of of movement she had. But you know, in, initially when they announced the sentencing, I if I, my memory serves me correctly, it was twenty years was the minimum, and that was if the judge was being you know as nice as possible. But as as Roberta said, the initial sentencing guidelines was uh, as low as like 15 and a half years, I think, initially, 15 to, to 19 right. years. 188 uh, months, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I think it was 188 to 235 months, which is a, a pretty random period of time. It's like 19 years and, and seven months. Uh, but 20 years, you know, it, it's in, and it says something bigger about uh, when you compare this to what the drug offenses get and what uh, violent criminals get, uh, you know, including uh, uh, people who commit other crimes. 
uh, it's really, you know, kind of black and white. And, and people, pretty big name people were commenting about this sentencing yesterday. The Arizona front runner for governor, Kerry Lake, was mentioning it. Uh, you had uh, Robbie Starbuck. Just a lot of people, uh, you know, commenting on on the sentencing. Uh, Matt Agaris, the Free Thought Project guys, Jason Bassler, et cetera. Um, and then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, is just the comparison between uh, R. Kelly getting 30 years and then Maxwell g- getting 20. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting too, yeah. The industrial scale of what Maxwell did versus what R. Kelly did, I'm not detracting from R. Kelly's heinous crimes. Didn't he pee in a girl's mouth or something and video it, something like that? Was yeah. In one of the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely obscene. But the industrial scale of what Maxwell and Epstein and the co-conspirators did the you know Epstein boasted that he slept with just over a thousand girls from Jean Luc Brunel alone, so you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of victims. I think if if she'd been sentenced in, under Arizona State, you know she would have never got out um, under under the system. But you know if you've got money and connections at the federal level, then you get the minimum sentence and then you get the backsheesh to the federal court judge so i'm curious roberta you you were stu- you know you were stood you could see her face then she's been giving all these theatrics about being on suicide watch and how dreadful the conditions are and how her mental health has gone has completely deteriorated looking at her being in her presence did you did you was your bullshit detector going off Oh, yeah. She looks fantastic. I mean, if her hair is falling out, I wish my hair were falling out. She has thicker hair than, you know, 99.9% of 60. What is she, 60 now? Almost 61? I mean, she'll be 60. Is that right? 60, 61? 60. I, mean, I believe she's 60. Yeah, 60. Yeah. Birthdays, I think, Christmas Day. I mean, this is, she looks amazing. And I think she looks better having been in, in jail, New York jail, which are not great. Our jails are not great. It, than than uh, outside. To me, it looks like I've always said. Look, she looked rejuvenated, uh, amazing. I, I, and and so then we're getting reports from her brother that her hair is falling out. She's losing weight, and that was brought up. The the government brought that up in their sentencing submission. They said, you know, she's lied about that she's lost all this weight and she's being tortured. She came in at I think a hundred and something like 144 pounds. She's 142 and a half in April. You know, she just gets caught in lie after lie after lie and just makes more lies. She wanted this sentencing moved because she couldn't get her legal papers. Then the prosecutors called up the jail and was like, is this true? Is Maxwell, can she? And they were like, yes, she has access to everything. So... And uh, that was that, brought up in the sentencing too. This is not that she hasn't been honest with the court. That was another reason. But I, you know, I, I will disagree with you. I think, I think, had the government made, you know, made it's a very hard case to try with the technicalities of the law. I don't think you know. I'm going to disagree with both of you that this was some kind of deal or or she was given. Um, I just think it was a very close case. I think the government was disorganized and and the crimes, you know, I, I agree with you that what she did, the money that she had was so much larger and the connection so much larger than someone like R. Kelly. And it made the fear, her, her influence, her sphere of influence so much bigger and stronger than someone like R. Kelly and the amount of fear that she could put into the victims should they talk. 
um, is, is something else. And I was hoping it would be a little longer. I still think if she gets out at 80, I don't think she's going to have any success with probation, <laughs> getting out early with probation. But could some kind of campaign start for her? Could there be some kind of anti-Me Too thing for her? Maybe. The, the social could, could in 10 years that be forgotten and they say, look how weak and flimsy these claims are. Look how the victims change her story. Maybe. I don't know. I hope not. I hope she's, I hope she's ruined um, for forever. And Judge Nathan actually mentioned the fact that she did not show remorse uh, played into her decision. And, and likewise, even though she made a statement, uh, R. Kelly did not uh, show remorse uh, either. And Roberta and I discussed that, how much that helps. And I, I know that's something you know too, Sean. Well, it's a, it's a strategy for an appeal, isn't it? Because they could use it against her uh, if sure. she's claiming she's sure. innocent, if, she has, if she's got an admission of guilt at sentencing. And Sternheim yeah. said that they plan on uh, appealing, I believe. But I wanted to mention something Brad Edwards said. I think it was today. Uh, he says uh, something like four or five new names of Johns are people who would be or should be in the black book, uh, he says, will be released sometime this year by October, November time or sometime this year. I don't know. What would you, what do you guys think about that if you heard that? I haven't heard it, but it's long overdue. I mean, we've got Wexner, we've got Clinton, so many that have not been investigated. And it just seems that all along these people have been protected. So it's sad that, you know, Maria Farmer, the victim herself, told me that Wexner was the head of the snake for the honey trap operation in America. So, and he handed over the properties that were, you know, for, for pittance to Epstein that already had cameras, et cetera, in them, multi-million pound dollar properties. So there's definitely a co-conspirator right there that they're not looking at. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And, well, oh, yeah. they tried to throw Sarah Kellen under the bus. That was one of their objections in the sentencing report. They said, oh, no, Sarah Kellen, uh, uh, Maxwell wasn't the head of the ca- house. Sarah Kellen was really the head of the house because she was the assistant and uh, Judge Nathan really didn't (laughs) smartly, wisely didn't accept that argument. And they requested that she be uh, housed at uh, FCI Danbury, Federal Correctional Institution in Danbury, Connecticut, and be part of this uh, FIT program. A FIT program, which is a uh, program, female integrated treatment program, specifically for low security female inmates. I think only at Danbury uh, uh, Correctional Institution in Connecticut. So, uh, and that's something Roberta uh, mentioned too. I think it's kind of a cushier uh, prison situation. It's a satellite work camp, uh, again, strictly for, for women. And she'll be doing time with uh, Claire Bronfman from the Nexium Cult, another another trial that I covered. So that that'll be interesting to see those two, the two two heiresses, rich heiress. She's the Seagram's heiress. Will be there, so it'll be interesting to see if they get to be uh, friends. Uh, what, if what, Ick what, Maxwell really has any friends, I don't know. Make alliances more like right. What's the possibility that she could end up like Jean Luc Brunel and Epstein? What do you think, Roberta? I didn't think that. I thought they did everything in their power to make sure that didn't happen in New York again. That was, uh, but I don't know how how strong Dan Barry is. With I think everybody knows how bad it's going to look if something like that happens. I couldn't believe Jean Luc Brunel. I mean, that was 
I was shocked. So I can be shocked again. Anything can happen in this mm. story. It's it's a wild yeah story. yeah. I, I think Roberta's right, and the other condition they had was to to a certain degree placate the demand of the populace worldwide for some justice in this situation. So they did, I think, as little as they could legally or in terms of justice, while at the same time her omerta, as uh, as the Italians called it, uh, which Nick Bryan actually mentioned in his tweet uh, yesterday, you know, basically bought her her life um, and then, uh, you know, more or less light sentence. You got a question from one of the viewers here. So when maxwell appeals could it backfire could she possibly get more time that's from verity love no no her sense her sense my understanding is the appeal is not on the on the facts of the case but that you appeal on technical issues on on things that like juror misconduct things like that so i don't think it would have i would have to ask a lawyer i'm not a lawyer but my understanding of, of new york <laughs> new york law is that she could have said, I'm terribly sorry for the crimes I commit. She could. That, I don't think that was the element. I just think she will, her personality is not one to accept any responsibility for anything. You know, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be um, appealing on, you know, te- technical things. This wasn't her, this wasn't filed correctly. This wasn't, you know, I, I hope the, the government crossed all their, their uh, T's and, because if she gets out, I think it would be. I think it would. I think people would be outraged, don't you? Don't you, Abby, Sean? Yeah, I think so. And that you know, answering that question is probably likewise out of my. I'm a little bit out of my element there. But uh, you know, also noteworthy to mention is the perjury charges, which were initially severed, have been dropped entirely, and then the conspiracy charges got basically formulated or assimilated into one single charge. Um, so really scant charges when you look at the extent of this worldwide operation uh, compared to, you know, what she should have been, I think, charged with. I think people are so myopic that five years from now, when there's no media interest in it anymore, she can get out without the public getting as outraged as they would be if she just walked out of court uh, the other day. And I think that is a strategy that she's probably contemplated or got in motion because she's still got considerable assets left and that goes a long way in the American justice system. Poor people serve all day and people with money play the system. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's that's a possibility. A la uh, Caro Quintero in Mexico, which I think we've discussed before, Sean. I know you've <laughs> talked about it with Shadow, the paperwork, uh, you know, mistake, the tactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so my next question is then, even though his public reputation is in tatters, does Maxwell's silence and her finally being sentenced provide some consolation to Prince Andrew legalistically? Well, he was seen earlier today smiling uh, at Windsor Castle and riding <laughs> oh, a horse, uh, I believe. <laughs> Uh, but the labor MP for, uh, I think it's called York or York Center, uh, asserted recently that some 80% of her constituents want to sever any association they have uh, with <laughs> Prince Andrew, uh, even though there's no protocol officially, I think, uh, even in the royal family uh, t- to do that. So uh, he still seems to be unpopular uh, across the pond in your, your home country there, Sean. 
Thank goodness. They kept saying yesterday, No, one of the Judge Nathan's points that she hammered home was that nobody's above the law. And I'm sitting there thinking, Prince Andrew will never be indicted for, for, the, for his crimes in this story. Never. Never. We know certain people really are above the law. We know our presidents are above the law. We know Prince Andrew is above the law. What are we talking about here? It is such nonsense. Uh, I think she meant uh, this woman isn't above the law. Not not everybody, certainly. Yeah, everyone from Wexner to Clinton and Prince Andrew have been above the law in this case. And look at Conra- uh, uh, Black, the hundred, what was it, two, 250 million he gave Epstein. Hence, financing the operation. And he's, you know, nothing's happened to him whatsoever. People, in the beginning, people were like, where's Epstein's money come from? Well, that's a, that was a bloody huge chunk of it right there. But why yeah, are they Leon giving him, he's giving him the biggest townhouse in New York? Nobody's giving me, I live in New York City, nobody's <laughs> giving me a townhouse like that. Why? I mean... And he also, I, I, I don't know if it was Black's money he did it with, but he gave a loan to the, the current uh, Norwegian ambassador and her husband, uh, Mona Yule and Terry Rod Larson, like a hundred... Thirty thousand dollars or something, and then he spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars bringing UN uh, hot shots to to Broadway to see work done by uh, by Ambassador Yule uh, as well, which uh, has yet to be explained. And, and furthermore, and now I want to give a shout out to Matthew Lee on this, who doing the UN work. But uh, Gutierrez, the UN Secretary General, had a representative on Maxwell's Terramar Foundation. Uh, and on the board, which was just a, a board of five people, uh, but uh, I think it's noteworthy to mention too, uh, in terms of the uh, the power players. Well, huge thank you, Addy and Roberta. We've run out of time. Do you want to tell the viewers where they can find you, follow you, and and read your stuff? Oh, I, I'm at Roberta Glass, True Crime Report. I have a podcast. It's on a zillion different platforms, iTunes. On, I'm still on YouTube before they kick me off, um, and uh, yeah, I think that I think that about does it. Well, I'm on luck, YouTube. Good luck with YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my 10th channel, so people can can check me out on YouTube if they want. Uh, I'm also on Rockfin. Uh, Twitter's my biggest reach. One Addy ads. Uh, Facebook. One Addy ads. Patreon. Buy me a coffee. Venmo. Cash app. Uh, buy me a coffee for non-Americans is is a good spot to go, and then I'm on Telegram uh, uh, as well. So uh, yeah, that's 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 where people can find me. Thanks again, Sean. That's fun. Yeah, huge thank you to both of you guys. Again, it's such an important case that the mainstream media is choosing not to focus on too much, and uh, you guys are, are, are carrying that torch and, and keeping it lit and shining a light on these evil bastards when others are too cowardly to do so. So we really salute what you're doing, and I urge the viewers who are watching to follow your socials and support your work. So cheers. Have a, have a great day wherever you are in the world. And thank you for coming on. Okay, Thanks, thank John. you. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And thus ends Atwood Unleashed number 65. It's been an amazing, eclectic, hodgepodge of brilliant guests organized by Ash. You may have gone bed already. He said he was he was getting a bit uh, drowsy. He does stay up until the middle of the night in the Philippines to get this done. So massive thank you to him. Massive thank you to Andrew Gold because um, my back wouldn't be able to take four or five hours of this. Uh, massive thank you to Andrew Gold. He's really in his element these days and um, on the ball with the guests. It's it's fantastic. 
to, to see everything just expanding for everyone and his followers expanding on his channel and on his Twitter and on his TikTok. So all of his links are in the description box of all of our videos on the YouTube version. So please support our co-hosts. Thank you for all of your amazing questions, especially Patreons. And thank you for supporting us, helping us build this community and exposing these NWO bastards. So until next week, when we've got even more fantastic guests arranged by Ash, I will see you all then. Take her out there wherever you are in the world. Much love and respect. Cheers. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.